Greetings and welcome, all you commanders, eagles, and angels. This is Rainbird, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Tara and Rama's Hard News on Friday nights at BBS Radio. So thank you for joining us here tonight, and I'd like to take a few moments for us to get into that heart space and set the tone for this evening. So let's take a few gentle breaths. Breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth. Slowly and gently, whatever breathing protocol you like to do is fine. So you hear that calling drum? Today is a Kimi day. It's the overtone Kimi day, that linker of the world. So... Go to that heart space. Let us gather with our guides and guardians, our spirit teams, our healing teams. There's a counter fire, and it's in the center. So let us join circle around that council fire. So come in close in that virtual way we know how to do. We're going to do the prayer of the seven galactic directions in the Mayan tradition. So let us begin. Welcome from the East, the House of Light. May wisdom open in the dawn that is upon us so that we may see things clearly. We welcome from the North, the House of Night. May wisdom mature among us so that we may see everything from within. We greet from the West, the House of Transformation. May wisdom be transformed into right action so that we might accomplish what must be done. And we greet to the South, the house of the eternal sun. May right action give us the harvest, so that we might enjoy the fruits of the planetary being. From above, the house of paradise, where the star people and the ancestors gather, 
May their blessings reach us now. We welcome from below the house of earth. May the beating of the crystal planet's heart bless us with its harmonies so that we might end war. Welcome from the center, source of the galaxy, which is everywhere at once. May everything be recognized as the light of mutual love. Ayun, Unaku, even Maya, Imaho. Ayun, Unaku, even Maya, Imaho. Ayun, Unapu, even Maya, Imaho. All hail the harmony of mind and nature. Home and talk with all my relations. In Makash Alakin, I am another you, you are another me. So just stay wherever that drumbeat took you. And let's take just a few moments to look at the Mayan uh, record of days for today and for the week ahead. So as I mentioned, today is um, the overtone linker world. And so it's white. That's Kimi. And Kimi is a warrior aspect. So we work with our forgiveness with this energy of Kimi and uh, moving into a state of grace. So let's grace those gifts of being that world bridger. That bridge between the past and the future and that gift of transmutation that comes with this energy. As we let go of that which is no more, the ego and the controlling behavior, any belief that life is a struggle so looking at Kimi, it's about, it's, it's the linker of worlds or the, <clears throat> the world bridger. And it's three um, identifying words are equality, opportunity, and death. And then it's, it's the five uh, overtone today. So those three words to describe the overtone is empower, radiant, and command. So here's the mantra for today. I empower in order to equalize commanding opportunity. I seal the store of death with the overtone of radiance. I am guided by the power of timelessness. And who do, who be the timeless? <laughs> that, that's the magician or the wizard is the guide. And... <clears throat> And um, so, guided by the white wizard, the occult power is the blue eagle. The ally today is Ben, the Skywalker, and the challenge today is the yellow warrior. So, 
So those are the aspects for the day. And, uh, yeah. So I'll give that, that um, mantra again. I empower in order to equalize commanding opportunity. I seal the store of death with the overtone of radiance. I am guided by the power of timelessness. So there we go. And then moving on to Saturday. Manana, New Year's Day Eve. <laughs> it's the last day of the year 2022. And we gently roll that one with the uh, six Maniques. The hand, the deer, so the blue rhythmic hand, and, and of course that guide tone will be as a, a, a healing hand as well. So it's a double healing hand for tomorrow, and that it that is a healing aspect. So we're working with um, healing ourselves and others, and creating contentment and peace as we ring in the new year. We we embrace that acceptance of the divinity of ourselves. And we have these gifts with Monique that being that healer of humankind and that ability to open new doors. And that sixth tone gives us the rhythmic movement of that energy. As we let go of any distractions or any belief in inadequacy or any procrastination, we embrace these energies on this celebration of the last day of 2022. And, uh, yeah, so and then the first day of the new year, 2023, is the Lamont. It's the resonant Lamont, seven tone. And uh, so Lamont is the stargate, and it's a visionary aspect. So our work with this stargate is the illumination of humankind and opening the stargate. So we embrace the gift of journeying, that gift of that pioneer spirit that we have, and having the power to see beyond the gate. So let's let go of any dissonance, any self-doubt, as we embrace these energy and celebrate that first day of 2023, which is also a seven. So it's double seven. It's a seven Lamont. <laughs> and it's at um, seven year 2023 is a seven. So then moving on to Monday, it's the eight Maluk. Maluk, it's the moon. And it's the galactic tone, eight. So it's the red galactic moon day. And so it's an artist aspect with this moon energy. So Let's make wise use of that, our rational mind as we accept spirit's direction and and embrace the gifts of having that contact with spirit, remembering what we came here to do, start out the, the new year doing our mission. So we embrace that universal mind that is our mind and use our telepathy. As we let go of any insensitivity or attachment to omens or any self-doubt, we embrace these energies on Monday. And then moving on to Tuesday, it's a nine arc. And that, that's the solar white dog. Well, and so we're working the dog energies and artist aspect as well. Our work is embracing unconditional love and healing the pain of the past. 
So we have this that contact with our spirit guides and our awareness of our destiny, our awareness of past lives with this energy of the dog. So we and also that dog energy, loyalty to humankind. So let's let go of any fears or any unwise use of anger as we embrace these energies. On Tuesday and then on Wednesday is the Ten Chewin, the Blue Planetary Monkey. Another artist aspect, that tan tone is manifestation, and uh, it's the monkey. So let's balance work and play and pay attention to clarity of mind as we make wise use of our magical artistry that Chewin brings us. So embrace these gifts of innocence and spontaneity, that ability to play and laugh. And, and laugh is, yeah, laughter is the answer. So let's let go of any insensitivity or jadedness or resistance to compassion as we embrace these energies on Wednesday. And then on Thursday, it's the yellow spectral human. So it's about um, being that human. <laughs> And the spectral energy is about letting go of what no longer serves it. So the human energy, Ab, is a healer aspect. So we embrace the work of the enlightenment of humankind, activating cosmic consciousness, attuning to spirit. As we embrace these gifts of being that human servant warrior, we embrace our abundance and our contact with other dimensions as well. And, um, yeah, we let go of what no longer serves us with that spectral uh, tone of 11. And uh, <clears throat> let go of any dependence on the analytical mind as we do this. And then on Friday, it's the 12th Ben, the red crystal Skywalker. And the Skywalker energy is a warrior aspect as well. And it's really about paying attention to focus striving towards self-illumination and working with clarity. And definitely with that 12-tone, we're definitely working with clarity as what that 12-tone assists us with. is complex stability, that 12-tone, it's very powerful. So lots of clarity coming in. We'll talk about it some more on Friday when we come back. And Friday is also the 6th of January, so it's Epiphany Day. So I'm sure we'll have lots of Epiphany going on <laughs> with that that crystal energy and that Skywalker energy. It, it'll be a good one. So with that, um, I'm going to change my hat and do that housekeeping work because we are a listener-supported radio program. It's all of us that make it happen. And a lot has happened. We've gotten the rent paid and everything. It was rent week and all kinds of bills to catch up on. And we did, I think, pretty good. And we're in a lot better shape this week. And I think we can get the rest of it to happen this week as we put our attention to it. Um, We owe the radio $250 to complete our uh, commitment for this week. And then um, $300 for next week and uh, let's see yeah so here's how we make a contribution to BBS radio we're grateful for all that BBS 
radio does for us and Don and Doug and how how they <clears throat> keep up with their end of the deal all the time and are always there. So lots of gratitude for all that they do to make sure that <clears throat> everything runs well and gratitude for all of you for assisting and making it happen. So here's how we do it. We go to bbsradio.com and click on radio station one to locate this program. And this is, this is how you can send money to our account. So what you do is you look on the menu and find our listing on radio station one, the hard news on Friday night with Tara and Rama at the six o'clock hour. And you also see at the six o'clock hour on Thursday, the Thursday program is uh, not at the round table with the panel. So either one of those icons there on that menu will link you as you click on it, will link you directly to our account with BBS radio where you can make a donation in any amount. So thank you for taking that action. Thank you for, for participating in this way. We are so grateful. Okay, so we're also assisting Tar and Rama with their needs. And, and again, I'll say thank you, thank you, thank you. Last week was rent week with a lot of bills and we got caught up with all the bills. All we need this week is $56 for post office box bill for the next six months. And then the car, the car is needing the $660 to, for repair that needs to happen ASAP. So that is critical that that happens as well. So um, let's take care of that. So here's how I make a contribution to Tara and Rama. You can go to the web address, rainbowroundtable.net. And there on the home page, as you click on the menu grid, you'll see a donate button that near the bottom of that long list of what's on that website. <laughs> and you click on that. That links you to Rama's PayPal account or the Rainbow Roundtable PayPal account. It's the same, but that's the commercial one. If you want to access the friends option, you want to use this email and go to paypal.com. And then for gifting, you want to put in this email for Rama at PayPal, and it is as follows, Koran, K-O-R-A-N, 9999 at hotmail.com. Either way is perfect. We're grateful for all of your contributions and your participation and all the ways that you show up. So thank you, thank you, thank you for taking that action. And, uh, let, yeah, as you're sending something, let Rama know that you sent something in that email for Rama. To let them know that you made you're sending something is Koran K O R A N nine 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 three nine at Comcast dot net and uh, then as you need it the mailing address is Ram D Berkowitz R A M D Berkowitz B E R K O W I T Z Post Office Box. 280-280, and that's in Santa Cruz, New Mexico, the zip code 87567. So again, Santa Cruz, New Mexico, 87567. So, so much gratitude for all of you for your participation. We wish you a very happy new year and 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 and. We've already achieved peace and may it manifest fully in 2023. 
And so I'm sending this talking stick and to you, Tara and Rama, and this talking stick has, oh, <laughs> lots of confetti. Imagine that. <laughs> lots of fairies and feathers and all the magical beings. And there's a unicorn or two and more magical beasts and lots of uh, all the little people, the Menahunis and the hobbits and uh, the dwarves and the gnomes and all the elemental beings and just all kinds of that, that sort of truth is there and we know justice is coming and peace is happening. So greetings, Tara and Rama. Here comes this talking stick. And for everyone, thank you very much for all your contributions and all the ways you show up in your life. 13 thank yous. Honey in the heart. Long life. No evil. Okay, that talking stick's on its way. Greetings. Greetings, everyone. Greetings. I mean, we are making miracles happen every second that we breathe right now. We thank you, everyone. We're so grateful to be here and to share in these energies that are manifesting the fifth dimension in real time as things are unfolding in a very magical way and... I just keep being told, leave the old stories alone, because they're just that. And the Ascended Masters, I call them Jedi Masters, are here. <laughs> and it is amazing to watch. Um, I can say in terms of the hard news, uh, Trump's tax returns, <laughs> I'm sure everybody has heard that, and, uh, oh, my God. Yes. It's, it's a trip. Send more love. That's what I keep being told in so many ways. We have one. The fifth dimension is here. They're playing their moments out, and, um... We are the ones. <laughs> we definitely are. Um, the uh, ones that uh, should be a little bit concerned is the dark side. They are on the chopping block. They are. Say. I'll just read what Rama said, told me tonight. How's that, Rama? Okay. I received a text message from Tom the Ringtail Cat and Sweet Angelique the Cat at 12.50 p.m. this afternoon. They said to me, Lord Rama, the light coming in is only getting brighter and clearer each day. The frequencies are as high as our bodies can handle. They were over Patagonia at this today. Wow. Yeah. And Patagonia is, you know, right at the end of South America going into Antarctica. It's a little bit on the uh, 
Well, if you're looking at it, it's on the the left side. Yes. Uh, and going south, uh, it's gorgeous there. Yeah. Absolutely. Endless mountain climbing. You can have a lot of fun. We know someone that did that. They spent weeks and weeks, and all they did was climb the mountains down there. Right? Yes. <laughs> yes. I wonder if she's ready to do that again. That was about 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> she was... Um, um, in her 20s, mm. I mean, 20 years ago, that means she's in her 40s. Oh, my God, what's happening to this timeline? Where was I? Okay. Um, the fifth dimension is right in our midst. The age of the sixth sun is at hand. Leave the dark stories alone. What is happening as we keep our hearts open, is we are being lifted higher and higher into the light of the most radiant one. Anytime now, we may be showing up to fill that dinner plate at the table. <laughs> oh, I just got through they saying. They know how to eat with forks and knives and spoons. Who does? Tom and Sweet Angelique. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I was living with the East Indian family, they didn't use forks and knives and spoons at all. Yeah. Ever. And you make sure you ate with the correct hand, called the right hand. Capiche. I'm left-handed, and I didn't know that, and I started eating, and everybody stopped eating at the whole dinner table and looked at me like I had ten heads. Anyway, that's another story. Anytime now, we may be showing up to fill that dinner plate at the table. In other words, these ones I just got through saying, you have something to be concerned about because they're the dinner. Happy New Year. Stay in the light of the most radiant one. All we are saying is give peace a chance. Satnam, namaste, and blaze the violet fire. So there. <laughs> All right. Um, we do have some hard news. Our sister Penny thought I wasn't getting enough gifts, so she sent me five nice little fat stories bedtime stories but the one here on the front um, agreement on a new Israeli government a coalition of extreme right wingers religious bigots and outright fascists was announced December 21st winter solstice Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, and that is, uh, uh, what do you call that? That's a hologram. Yes. He's been dead for years, and that's just, they want to rise him from the dead, so they put a hologram there, a solid one. He will return once again as prime minister 
two open fascists, Itamar Ben Ben Guir, G Y I R, and uh, Belazel Smotrich, will hold key posts dealing with the West Bank and the occupied Palestinian population. And indeed, hold the balance of power in the new ruling cabinet. A document issued by Netanyahu on December 28th, which was two days ago, Wednesday, that the new government's first priority is to advance and develop settlement in all parts of Israel, in the Galilee, the Negev Desert, the Golan Heights, and Judea and Sumaria, which is a description of the West Bank. The Galilee and Negev are heavily Palestinian areas inside the 1948 borders of Israel's state. The illegally annexed Golan Heights and Syrian territory conquered in the 1967 war that also brought the West Bank, East Jerusalem, and Gaza under Israel control, Israel's control, Israeli control, without a doubt. A key aim of the new government's policy is to increase pressure on the Palestinian population everywhere inside historic Palestine to abandon their homeland. Netanyahu announced his intention to annex the West Bank, quote, while choosing the timing and considering the national and international interests of the state of Israel. The international interests, quote unquote, have ref ha here refers to Israel's indispensable armor funder <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, um, and protector, the U.S. of A, which fears that outright annexation could lead to new upheavals and instability in the region. In recognition to this factor, the Israeli government is clearly going forward with an instability in the region, going forward with, excuse me, an accelerated program of de facto annexation while holding back on an official announcement. The information of an openly annexationist government represents a local, a logical next step in the ongoing right-wing shift of the Israeli political landscape over the past several decades. Yet from, an, from its very start as, as a movement in the late 19th century, Zionism was another variant of racist European colonization. Mm -hmm. It was in the name of achieving the Zionist objective of an ex 
exclusivist Jewish state that 750,000 Palestinians were driven, this is true, they were driven to, by means of terror from their homeland in 1948. I was one years old. <laughs> and hundreds of thousands more in the 1967 war when Israel conquered the West Bank, Gaza, East Jerusalem, and the Golan Heights. Today, in violation of international law, more than 700,000 settlers live in the West Bank and East Jerusalem. They are protected by the Israeli, quote, defense forces in a thorough apartheid system mm -hmm. that has a separate legal system and separate access to resources for Israel's and for Israelis and Palestinians. Anyway, fascism full on in Israel is the deal. Everywhere. And they're not even they're not they're not even you know couching their language. They say they're going to kill every single Palestinian alive, not just in Palestine, everywhere in the world, and that's that. And um War is canceled. War is over. And any variation thereof, only love. And I'm going to not read the rest of that. And it's just absolutely insane. But mm. then this other article is CIA's deadly strategy of tension to destroy Russia. And that's a hoot. And it's <gasps> a very long story. I can read a little bit of it. Mm -hmm. um, let's see. Um, all, uh, let's see. On Monday, the Russian Federation Angles Air Base in the Saratov region, nearly 400 miles from Ukraine, was attacked for a second time since the beginning of Russia's. Um, military operation. Russia's defense ministry, you've got to remember, this is very important if anybody's new or didn't catch this one. Putin is in an underground base on the far eastern side of Russia. And he's hanging out with the Andromedans. And so what you've got is the western oligarchs created a lookalike of Putin and the Western oligarchs are holding the puppet strings of this lookalike Putin and they're making believe and they're thinking everybody's listening and they're going to believe this make-believe story that Russia's been attacking. No, the West has been attacking Ukraine and they're having the people believe that Russia's the naughty person when they're the naughty person so we're playing on both sides of the fence that's the west against the west uh making everybody believe that the big bad wolf is putin and friends then you know rama i mean 
you, you're, the facts in Three White Knights are telling you in no uncertain terms the people have had it up to their crown chakra, right? That's why our family and friends from the stars are here. And I will just say they know how to make their presence known without violence, without destruction. It is about that wave of love coming in. It's it's that radiant light. Um, I'm not sure how to describe it any other way. Um, it's like when you're in the presence of the Ark of the Covenant, you better know what you're doing. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's simple. These guys want to go full-on nuclear war. Just make no mistake about it, everybody. And, and war is canceled. Astar has said, no nukes. Yet they're going to play right to the, you know, that moment. Yeah. So three... Um, People were killed at Engels Air Base. Russia's defense ministry said the incident took place in the early hours on Monday. And three servicemen were killed by debris at the Engels Air Base, which houses TU-95 and TU-160 nuclear-capable strategic bombers that have been involved in launching strikes on Ukraine Mm. in the 10-month-old war, reports associated with this. There have been a number of attacks inside Russia, in Kursk, the city of Bryansk, the village of Stareya, um, Neldovka, in the Belgonad region, and the military airfields at Dialevo in the Ryazan region, in addition to Engels. I'm not going to read much more on that, and I'll just... Give you some titles, and then Rum is going to play something that's going to be really wonderful to take us to our conference call. But uh, this other article says, Historical Analysis of the Global Elites Ransacking the World Economy Until, quote, You'll own nothing. 5,000 Years of Setting the Stage is the title of part one of this Long dissertation, everybody. Where it's wrap up time. Twenty twenty three is a seven. Uh, uh, and they're divided up. The twenty three, two and three is a five, and then the extra two is divine alchemy, making the seven. We're going to take the number twenty three, which is the most powerful number in any set of numbers. And it's the number of change using our twin flame resonant energy. We all have a twin flame. I don't know where they all might be, but we're all one here. There is the veil is pretty much gone. And so, you know, we're working on practicing on using our third eye and living in peace and living a, a lifestyle which will uh, instruct the 
cells of the body for the highest good to happen here. And uh, so 5,000 years is setting the stage. That's part one. I'm just looking for part two. It's so long. Ooh. Well, just let it be. It's a very long piece. Yet it's it's saying the dark side story and for the sake of knowing that it's over. And then the next article is One Nation Under Blackmail. <laughs> uh, yeah. Mm. It's, it's aired on the Jimmy Dore show. The mafia, the CIA, and Jeffrey Epstein work together to traffic minors across the darn planet. Hold them accountable, everybody. And then the next one is, Today the threat of nuclear war is real. America's 1945 plan, quote, Wipe the Soviet Union off the map, unquote. 204 atomic bombs against 66 major cities. U.S. nuclear attack against USSR planned during World War II. Uh, about 1943, that's when they started the uh, beginnings of the CIA. I forgot what they called it. But OSS. OSS. What does that stand for? Order of Office of, Office of Strategic uh, Services. Office of Strategic Services. Anyway, 43, 53, 53, 73, 83, 93, 03, 13. Next year it'll be 80 years ago. Mm. Uh, and then this one is, um, that's it. We'll just go, we're going to play this now. Let's listen to this. It's four minutes. What's it called, Ramon? This is um, an Aztec chant that actually opens portals. And this is a story that was put on YouTube from Michael Salia of exopolitics.org. And he's on Ancient Aliens all the time. And this Aztec chant actually opens portals. And in this story, um, they go to this place somewhere in the Atlantic Ocean within the Bermuda Triangle. And there is this gigantic space arc, some kind of craft on the bottom of the ocean. And a group of American soldiers and Chinese soldiers and other uh, and Mexican scientists go there and they do this chant and it opens this space arc and the Mexican scientists can go in yet the Americans and the Chinese cannot because they don't have the right vibrations and it has to do with opening your heart. And this is actual um, science. These sound frequencies like Om Triambakam Yajamahe 
all these uh, different mantras. They open portals all across the planet, and you better know what you're doing. Here we go. Before we say that, I just want to say that it says here, legendary journalist Barbara Walters passes away. They're doing a whole history of her life. Yeah, um, Blaze the Violet Fire Fire. put her in the circle. Yes. Uh, Too many stories to tell. This is um, Akuria Mate. That's how you say this chant. And Rama's going to read as he goes. Here we go. We For thousands of years, a giant star is discovered after thousands of years. The U.S. Navy builds an ocean platform above this space arc in January 2022. A multinational military mission is deployed to the floating platform above the space arc. Their orders are to penetrate the space arc, enter it. Personnel are deployed, Americans, Chinese, and the Mexican scientists. Within the space arc, they encounter ancient hieroglyphs along the walls and advanced force fields they can't penetrate. However, the Mexican scientists recognize the Aztec hieroglyphics and they begin to chant. Akuria Mate.
is Aztec for open portal. We just did it. We opened the portals. Yeah. <laughs> and now we got to get the phone numbers. Um, 720-716-7301. And the PIN code is 353-863-POUND. And we'll see you there for this next hour. And at the top of the following hour... We'll be right back here at BBS Radio, best radio in the universe. And that means now, 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 and now. Satnam. See you on the conference, everyone.
my precious heart, thank you for joining us for our weekly vlog. The Company of Heaven said that the beings of light who were assisting us from systems of worlds beyond anything we have ever experienced benefited all life on earth in ways that exceeded the greatest expectations of heaven. On the December 21st solstice, as the final gift of assistance before they returned home, the beings of light joined with the evolutions of earth and exponentially expanded through every person's holy breath, the foundation of our mother God's comprehensive divine love. This foundation of love is enveloping mother earth and will sustain the heart-based patterns for the new earth that awakening humanity is being called to co-create in 2023. Now, as we prepare for the birth of 2023 and the miracles we will co-create during that year, the company of heaven is asking us to encode into our mother God's foundation of comprehensive divine love, a vision involving the transfiguration of Mother Earth and all life abiding upon her. If you have the heart call to participate in this activity of light, please listen to these words with the full power of your attention and your divine intentions. I will state this vision in the first person so that we will each experience it personally. And we begin. As I breathe in deeply, I go within to the divinity of my heart flame. My heart chakra is open to full breath. And I am now experiencing the infinite gratitude and eternal peace of God flowing through my heart flame and expanding into the heart flames of every man, woman, and child on earth. I realize that as the eternal peace and infinite gratitude of my Father, Mother, God lift me up, all life is being lifted up with me. My Father, Mother, God are blessing me in appreciation for my willingness to be the open door for this sacred gift of light on behalf of humanity and all life evolving on Mother Earth. I am now reaching into a new octave of my Godhood and my Father, Mother, God are able to easily move through me. My eyes become blazing rays of light through which the light of God blesses all life. My hands become mighty conductors of God's healing power. My lips become the instruments through which God's words are formed and directed into the physical plane of earth. My feet walk the path of light. My life force is the vehicle 
through which God enters the world to love and serve all life. Now, with every breath I take, eternal peace and infinite gratitude are being integrated into every facet of who I am. As this occurs, I begin to see with new eyes and hear with new ears. A vision of the new earth is now appearing before me and I am able to understand more consciously than ever before the monumental moment unfolding on this blessed planet. It is a wondrous time. Great changes are taking place everywhere on earth. In my mind's eye, I see that the earth is becoming a planet of exquisite beauty and harmony. Her majestic mountains, daisy-splattered meadows, billowing clouds, golden desert sands, and sky-blue waters are beginning to once again reflect their exquisite beauty. Birds are singing. Children and animals are playing. Men and women live, love, and work together in harmony, peace, respect, and acceptance. The sun is shining and gentle rays kiss the ground with sweet blessings. It is a time of transfiguration for unto earth is dawning the age of oneness and divine love. Our Father, Mother, God and the company of heaven see that all nations of earth from east, west, north, and south are developing emissaries of light. These precious light workers from all nations, religions, races, cultures, and creeds are joining together to contemplate, study, research, learn, and explore viable solutions that will improve the quality of life for all life evolving on this sweet earth. Within the divinity of every person's heart flame, they know that the new earth will not just happen. It will begin within the heart and mind of each person and be co-created through our heart-based thoughts, feelings, words, and actions. Our beloved God parents are observing the awakening taking place within the hearts and minds of humanity. They witness peacemakers embracing the combatants of the warring nations in an invincible force field of comprehensive divine love. This force field of divine love is softening the hearts of the combatants. A new level of oneness and reverence for all life 
is awakening within the deepest recesses of their heart flames. New, positive ways of solving their differences begin to flow into their conscious minds. They realize that divine reason and practical negotiations are far more effective than arms. The leaders of nations begin seeing, understanding, and talking to each other. They join hearts, minds, souls, and strengths for the benefit of all humanity. The visionaries, the souls who are the architects for the Earth's transfiguration, are actively working toward the highest good for all concerned. They hold the immaculate concept for Mother Earth and all life abiding upon her. They do not see the limiting illusions of humanity's miscreations. They peer beyond the veils and mists of doubt and uncertainty and pierce the walls of time. Our Father, Mother, God observed the awakening taking place on earth and rejoice in the truth that humanity is beginning to remember our oneness with all life. Through humanity's unified efforts, hunger, disease, ignorance, war, and suffering are eliminated. Each person is co-creating a rich, fulfilling life. Greed, corruption, and the wealth and power of the few at the expense of the masses is no longer a viable option. A new level of understanding is awakening the profound truth within every soul that the infinite abundance of God is humanity's divine birthright. A consciousness of right thinking, feeling, speaking and acting among all people is assuring the fulfillment of the divine plan for planet Earth and all of her inhabitants. The flame of divinity that blazes within every precious person is expanding in size and brilliance. People are living in harmony and peace with each other and their planetary home. They are revering all life and honoring the resources of Earth. Now, the majestic angel of renewal and restoration descends into the atmosphere of Earth. With the assistance of this magnificent being of light, the emissaries of light from all over the world travel to every land, touch every nation, and bless all people by spreading the word of the dawning age of oneness and divine love and the birth of the new earth. Fragrances of the light of truth blossom wherever their footsteps fall. 
a clarion call sounds, and a mighty trumpet reverberates throughout the universe, calling all great beings of the cosmos to come and see the miracle taking place on Earth. These great ones behold humanity, experiencing an awakening into God awareness. This new level of divine consciousness is reflected in every person's life through their heart-based thoughts, feelings, words, and behavior patterns. The rejoicing is tremendous. The heavens ring with the songs of angels and humanity. The earth has dawned her seamless garment of light and reclaimed her rightful place in the universe. She is now a planet of light. With infinite gratitude, our omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent Father Mother God respond. How magnificent you are Beloved sons and daughters, welcome home. I now return my consciousness to the room. I become aware of my physical body and I allow this vision and the full momentum of eternal peace and divine gratitude to be assimilated on my holy breath into my physical etheric, mental, and emotional bodies. And so it is. Dear one, this week, as we prepare to birth the new year 2023, bask in the radiance of our Father Mother God's infinite gratitude. Then go within and ask your I am presence how you can add to the light of the world in the most powerful way during this vitally important and wondrous new year. God bless you. I look forward to being with you next week. Greetings, dear ones. I am Cryon of Magnetic Service. So aware are we of those who join us now. We say this so often to you. But again, there are so many who come in and never have heard it. And think perhaps that a message like this is just thrown out. So that sometime someone will hear it. Like some speech that is famous, given long ago, for a certain number of people. And it is not that way. Indeed, this broadcast happens at a certain time, a certain week, a certain year. But indeed, those, even in the future, 
will come across this when they're supposed to and hear it. Even though this particular message is one of four and the third of four, it still may ring true and be succinct for someone who needs to hear it. But what I really want to tell you is this. On the other side of the veil, dear ones, for you, there is this beautiful co-creative source. You're discovering this as a new truth, a piece of that creation you are. And that means that the creative source, which you call God, the beauty, benevolence, kindness, and love, is imbued in you for you've heard that made in his image expression, made in the image of the creative source means that it's in you. The image is love. It's not the image of a physicalness. It's love. And that means that you are part of all that exists in a way that perhaps you're not aware. And so my message to you right now is this. We know you. We know you. If you stumbled on this message years from when it was was given, or you're listening perhaps just to the sound and you're not even seeing the picture, it doesn't matter. We know you. We know your ears or your eyes are upon this. And through free choice, you can make up your mind with something. Is it truth or is it not? So many times you come across these kinds of messages and this one in particular that you need to hear. The series this month has dealt with what we call increased awareness, the new frontier of humanism. A new frontier because consciousness, awareness, is moving in a way that you didn't expect faster than you expected. It brings about all manner of expressions, including the new normal. Years ago, we told you about the new normal. Now this expression is even being used by mainstream media. You'll probably find it in some movies. There may even be a movie title someday called The New Normal. It will probably be a comedy. (laughs) Things are changing this quickly. And so this new frontier is a metaphor. And what it truly means is that it's wide open. It's never been there before. It's waiting to be discovered. That new frontier of a consciousness that has never existed before will bring about a different kind of human reaction, action, perspective, and the big one, an increased awareness of a greater truth. And we speak spiritually. The last message we gave you talked about the fact that this is not a new religion. Cryon does not have an evangelical message. There's nothing to join and no one really to contribute to. It is not a new group that we are asking you somehow to join. 
It has nothing to do with that, that paradigm, which is so linear that you are used to, stepping from one belief system perhaps to another. Instead, it's like a door starts to open and in floods a light and colors you've never seen, beauty that you never expected, and you have the opportunity to look or not look. Truly, many have seen this door open and slammed it shut because it was frightening. Slammed it shut because it wasn't what they were taught should be behind that door. A metaphor, dear ones. A metaphor for those who have an opportunity to look, but they've decided not to. This is not something that we judge as an issue or a problem. It's free choice. Every single one of you has that choice not to look. And you're every bit as loved. At the end of this message, there'll be no invitation to join. We don't do that. This is loving information for those who want to hear it. For those who don't, it's fine not to. That is the essence of the love of free choice. You send your children out into the world. You hope they find something that they love to do or partners they will love to find and you wish them the best. But very few parents will put upon them, you must do this, you must do that or else. You give free choice to your children because you understand how different they are. What might, might work in one of their lives and will not work in another. It is similar to this. And the love, it's there no matter what they do. You know that. We've spoken over and over about this one subject that is an increased awareness and what it means. The first channel of this month was simply an opening that says, well, it's there. Take a look. What's going on on the planet? The second one in the second week was just a little different, an explanation of just how different this is. We used the expression of going from black and white to color. This planet is going from black and white to color. It is a metaphor. But in that metaphor, can you see only so many shades of black and white. And there were the layers. These are the layers of the reality that you exist in right now. And when you go into color, you can see millions of shades, sometimes billions of shades of color. And so that means that your reality expands incredibly past what you have or what you expect into that which is the unknown. Part of the circle of 12, which is coming yet today is moving into the known and the unknown in ways that some of you have already done and some of you have not. And so it is done simply and it's done, it is done gently and safely so that none of you will feel that you are, are being pulled into something. Free choice, dear ones, love, benevolence. That's the image that I wish to give you today. Even as I give you this message, there is a grandness of discovery, spiritually, that perhaps you have never been shown and never been told about. 
I want to continue that theme. This particular uh, attribute of this particular channel of number three of four regarding this new frontier of awareness, we're going to say getting used to it <laughs> because of what happens often next. When you move into that which is different from the others, often there are reactions. Many times the reactions are sorrowful. They don't make sense even. And we've spoken of them before. Especially those things which are so important to your life, the way you live, how you perceive, your very values of what you've been told. When you alter those from what you've been told or those around you expect you would have, when you alter those, even if you go to something grander and something bigger, even if your life changes and you heal yourself and you become somewhat different, more kind and, and less anxiety and fearful, even if you change dramatically in the, in the, in the area of, of benevolence, even if you're easier to get along with, you'll have friends who will turn their back. You'll have family that will turn their back because you've stepped out of what they believe is real. You know exactly what I'm talking about. So getting used to it, that is to say, if you have seen that, which is the difference between color and black and white, and you have stepped into that and you've discovered something and you now know it is absolutely real, real. Expect those around you may not. In the case of my partner, he had a fear. He had fear when he saw a light that never went out, that was filled with kindness, benevolence, love, understanding. Something he had never felt before in any religion. Something that was, was filled with, with so much non-judgment that he understood he was part of a larger whole. And he had broken through and it took him years to go there. And when he did, he was still afraid. And his fear was this, that the people he grew up with or his family members or all of those that loved him, that worked with him, would turn their back on him and say, we think you've gone crazy. We don't appreciate what you're doing and we can't be with you. That's what his fear was. Dear ones, Every single one of those attributes came true. How do you deal with this? And the answer is gently with love and understanding because every single one of those individuals was replaced with other individuals who loved him in a different way, an accepting way. Even some individuals who didn't necessarily believe what he did, but loved him anyway but loved him anyway. Wouldn't you expect that of your family member to love you anyway? That's quite often not the case at all. You've simply gone beyond the bounds. How does one get used to this? The answer is this, you never get used to being discarded, but you have the wisdom to step into the understanding of it all. You may go back for the holiday and be shunned or made fun of, laughed at, 
and all of those things, what's your reaction? Do you get used to it? No. But you can love them in a way that is beyond the way they could love you. And it shows them something. That no matter how far they push the envelope of ridicule or not understanding. You may even see their dysfunction in it or their anger in it. No matter what they show you, what you show them back is a grander truth of something you've learned. Humans have trouble and difficulty moving off the peg of what they've been told. Some of you don't want to go anywhere near a new truth because you think it's a betrayal of what you've been told by people you love and who love you. And I will tell you this, that no matter what you've been told about God, they have done the best they can in what they believe is a beautiful, loving God. But they haven't seen it all. They haven't seen perhaps what you've seen. They haven't seen when that door opens that there's so much, there's so much there that is bigger than anything they've been told or any doctrine that they've ever known, as good as it is, as beautiful as it is. But they hang on to what they know because they cannot even fathom that there could be more. And so they wave goodbye to you, sometimes not in a graceful way. And you will see perhaps That which doesn't appear to be love anymore. The most difficult thing for a human to have. You might even think of betrayal. Because you you see them not even willing to love you, even though you found something that's so loving, even though you show them love back. No, you won't be used to it. But dear ones, you will receive the wisdom of love in order to deal with this. This is not new in humanism. Even science has reflected it. When it comes along with something that is true and grander, but never yet discovered, there will be ridicule and there will be finger pointing and all of this. And and colleagues will will walk the other way. And then they find out the truth. Oh, they were right. (laughs) That everyone knows and everyone believes. Something like that is coming. They won't be able to ignore the light someday. And many of them may actually in your lifetime look at you and say, you know, you might have something. As odd as it sounded back then, it doesn't sound quite as odd today. And you can just smile and know that the love that you've given to those who've rejected you is starting to work. That is the grease of truth. The wheels that you grease are the wheels that will create understanding even for those who rejected you someday. It's possible and not perhaps even possible, but it may even be happening right now. There is more acceptance than there ever has been before of some of the oddest and strangest ideas, even of channeling. We'll be back. And so it is. Greetings, dear ones. I am Cryon of Magnetic Service. Again, I am so aware of who is here and who is listening. Not just now, with your eyes and your ears. But those who will be listening only later or watching later, 
perhaps years from now, will hear this message for the first time. It's a timeless message, an important one. And it's number two of four that are being presented in this series of four. The series is about a new frontier, which we're calling humanity's awakening into higher consciousness. Some have simply called it an increase of an awareness, an increase of an awareness. In the first section, we laid the groundwork for what we are speaking of now. In the laying of the groundwork, we asked the question, what if there were a greater truth? What if? What if there is a graduated scale, if you might say, of of intelligence and awareness and all of that and and society and culture and humanity goes through these and they raise it slightly or not their free choice. What if you are broaching a new kind of awareness? And then we got into that which is spiritual, which we are speaking of now. And we said, what if there's a grander, greater truth? One that hides until you see it. Any way you can see it. We discuss those who have been on the operating tables and who have died clinically and come back. And what they say to so many of the surgeons who are are with them at their clinical death and with them when they wake. And so many surgeons have heard the same words and we said this and we closed with it. When they saw a greater truth and a magnificent and the door cracked open and they saw and got a glimpse of the reality, not your doctrine, but your reality, they said, why did you bring me back? That's profound. This is a section that starts to explain how profound it might be. I want you to visit For just a moment, the whole idea of growing up, it's common to all cultures, human nature, to watch your children grow. So many of you either have the children or know of those who do or perhaps are related and have spent time with the little ones. And you watch that perceptual awareness start to grow. And it's so fun to see it when they get so wise. Or sometimes they have knowledge without wisdom, and it's so fun to hear what they say in all their innocence. They say the children say some very special things. Books have been written. And then slowly you see an awareness happen, and they get a little wiser. And then they become a little wiser even than that. They become young adults. And so you see a process of awareness and how it looks to you as the brain starts to grow and the maturity starts to to happen in human consciousness. Now this particular attribute of growth within from children to adults so common, I want you to look at that and place that metaphor right now on humanity in general and the way things work on the planet. There is an opportunity for consciousness and awareness 
to have that same kind of growth through history. You have the opportunity to discover better things, to have a higher consciousness of what you want for one another. It's classic. We've said it before. It wasn't it wasn't that long ago before America perhaps even started that your parent country and those in Europe would have festivals and families would come out and picnics would happen in order to see someone beheaded. Do you think that you've gone past that? Some would say, well, no, we're just doing other things instead of it. But you have gone past it. In other words, that's unconscionable today. Something has happened between then and now that has raised that awareness of what is appropriate and not appropriate for humanism. That's what we speak of. That's a small incremental step. But you get to see it even with a few hundred years. You're in a new energy now. You've passed a marker and it's accelerated. It is really accelerated. And now is the time for you to see another kind of growth. And it's happening before your eyes. And we've had many channels on it. But that's the metaphor. So what is it that is so profound that we speak of? What's the feeling of it? What what is it like? What's the next step? In order for me to, to tell you these things, I'm just going to give you perceptions and ideas so you can ponder it yourself. We speak of spiritual things in this message. And for 31 years, that's what we have done. And there are those who listen in for a moment and will laugh. And they will say, why would I want to change religion?" Well, they say, ha, here's what the world needs is another belief system. And I would say to you or anyone else who has gone that direction, you're not understanding. You don't really get it. You honestly don't understand. This is not another belief system. This is a revelation of a truth you never were told. A door opens and all you can do is go, oh, my I had no idea. It's not another doctrine. It's not another set of rules. It's not another uh, 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 situation where we're asking you to get out of one bag and get into another and, and, and join something. This is not it. It's a plea to sit and discover something bigger than you were ever told. I equate it to this. A sightless person suddenly doesn't just get sight. They get sight with color, 3D and more. And in that, that metaphor is everything. This explains something very, very common to you. I've said before, this planet is has sight. And they have just enough sight to have figured things out for themselves and to to found out that God is great and there's one God and one creator. and, And that's where you sit. But you sit in a black and white earth. Everyone seeing in black and white. And suddenly there is the concept of those of you who are seeing color. 
that's not another black and white layer. It's not another religion, is it? You step out of the black and white world and you see color and you say, what am I going to do with it? What is it? But mostly, how do I explain it to a black and white earth? Honestly, how would you explain sight to a sightless person who has been sightless for birth? Not only that, start to explain the hues of colors that you see in a perception that they don't have and never have had. You see, the issue is this. It's unbelievable. In this color world that we speak of, that you can participate in, this is a metaphor for another paradigm of truth. But the truth of color is so much bigger than the truth of black and white. I hold to this because this is the best metaphor I can give you. If you have indeed discovered color all around you and you're now starting to draw in color and think in color and believe in color and you go back home, for instance, or go back to work, for instance, and the door opens and you're in in a black and white earth and all they speak about are things that they know are in black and white and all the hues of color and the grandness and the glory is not even perceptible to them. And there's nothing wrong with them. It's just that they are in another reality and they are good people and beautiful people. But they look at you and if you talk about color, they often will roll their eyes and walk away. It isn't believable, not yet. So they cannot perceive the thing that you've experienced. And this is what it's like to have a new frontier of awareness where the earth starts to see things that they never saw before. I'll tell you a story. It's for your time. It's one my partner will always remember. Since the late 40s, Israel has always had difficulties with the neighbors around them, and the neighbors have been troubled with Israel. There's been many events, many things said and done. There's been many deaths. There's been wars. There's hatred, and there still is. One society is still living within another seemingly appropriately to one side and appropriately to another, and it goes and goes. In Israel, there's a name for it. In Palestine, there's a name for it. It's called the situation. And it's the elephant under the table when you go to the Middle East in certain areas, meaning it's always there. Tourists will be enjoying a certain kind of monument or a certain kind of, 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 church or temple or whatever. If they turn their heads to the left or to the right, they'll see they're guarded by those with machine guns. It tells you the elephant under the table is still there. Some years ago, I sat, my partner sat in a chair alone on a stage. It wasn't a theater in the round. 
like the circle of 12, but it was a stage alone, all the lights on one chair, a thousand people, all young Israelis in the audience. And Cryan wanted to talk about the situation. And he told them something that was unbelievable to many, except the young people who were there were taken by what I said, because they knew color was coming. And that's what I said. You can't figure it out. The situation is untenable, not figure outable. It has been this way for all of these years. There will be new solutions coming to you. You never thought could ever happen. Young people arise and search. I was speaking then of a new normal. I was speaking then in front of all of these. You live in black and white and color is coming. And I say that to you right now. This is the second of four attributes of this new frontier of awareness. And I'm simply covering the difference between that which you've experienced and that which you might. Dramatic, not a new belief system, not a new religion, not a new doctrine, a grand, grand truth that we invite you to beginning, to begin to investigate, to see. And so many of you are already there and you understand it. And know what I speak. I am crying in love with humanity. For good reason. And so it is. And so it is. We are all servants of peace. Indeed we are. Greetings, Mother. In the light of the most radiant one, in the office of Christ, and only in the office of Christ, we invoke the loving energies of Saint Germain, and we ask at this time for the spirit of that which we call 2023 to to present itself in our hearts on this eve of new year's eve evening 
and it's already New Year's Eve in the East Coast. So happy New Year's Eve, everybody. And that we walk from the number six to the number seven. This was a six-year Lady Master Nada presiding over all of that. And presenting now uh, St. Germain's year. Uh, Nasara now. <laughs> and may the spirit that we feel in our hearts for all of the world and that which Kryon was expressing for peace in the Middle East and to for it to spread all over the world. There is only one of us here, has no borders, no uh, ideas of color or creed or I don't know, shape or size or any of that. I mean, the consciousness of spirit is in everything. And Mother, I'm so glad you came here to share with us on this New Year's Eve. Pass the talking stick to you. Reading, children of Ra. Indeed, we are in most auspicious times. The soul keep pumping out the energies to lift this world higher. Everything that's happening at this time is about how we get lifted up into this fifth dimensional reality that is the new normal. <laughs> it is how the rest of the universe functions within normal parameters. This dysfunction story has been this matrix for thousands of years coming to conclusion at this time as Folks are waking up to who they are. Some, it has taken this long right to the moment. And all of it is in perfect divine timing. There are Mm, let's say when we show up we show up at the right moment don't have words to describe it it is all perfect as 
things are unfolding in most miraculous ways. Let's speak of it in the words. There are more of us that have awakened to the quantum field that is part of everything, anything. It is not that AI story called the Internet of Things. No. It is most awesome to behold what's occurring, not just on Earth, yet throughout this local system. It is quite exciting as we get to meet and greet each other in so many ways. And in the same moment, the collapsing of the matrix continues as everybody gets to know how deep the story goes. It is all-encompassing because we all have a role to play in this as one planet, one consciousness. As we join our consciousness with the quantum field, every particle of life is interconnected. This hmm, magnetic force that is occurring this is the divine feminine returning at this time to balance the story out. It has been said we show up at the end and the beginning of the cycles. Um, we don't play equalizer in those old concepts. Yet, everybody gets the message. Right now, as you heard the message 
from Mother Earth Gaia by Wamas. It is a time of great shift and change as we have the power to shift our consciousness. We can shift physical reality, space, time. These are the fundamental principles <coughs> of what it's like to live in multiverses as we are all intersecting with each other from various realms. Hmm. It's very amazing to behold. Right now, in this moment, the old life forms we like to call our wayward children they are on their way out send them more love it's that easy as we let go of all the stuff that gets in our way of preconceived dark forms that may come from a space-time moment when Things weren't exactly balanced. And right now, this great equalizing energy, as things get balanced out with the planet, with ourselves, it's happening all at once. And at times, yes, it does make the head spin. Yet, we volunteered to be here to be servants of peace, to raise it up. This is happening in spite of our wayward children's best efforts to keep you in the dark can't any longer no mm -hmm. this planet is ascending with all of us it's a fact and our biggest challenge is to stay neutral and in loving presence 
with compassion and divine grace in spite of what we have seen and heard. But those words, abominations of desolation, are no more. Mercury has gone backwards for a little while to hmm, do that cosmic dance to reintegrate what we have yet to assimilate. And it also pulls mother, doesn't it, the, uh, the past, this whole history of what's already passed, the system is gone. Yes. And, and we can see it for what it is better. Correct. Oh my goodness. And send more love in spite of our best efforts to let's say hmm, we'll keep it clean. <laughs> oh, that's a good idea, mother. <laughs> yes. We've seen it all. We have indeed. Oh my God. Now that Barbara Walters has gone over the rainbow, is it not a sign that they're going to stop trafficking children to hither, thither, and young? We would say that that is the order of events. Yes. <sighs> As the exposure of how deep the story goes. Mm. There are fantastical things that are about to be revealed to the people of this planet. Sound, color, light, frequency, magnetic resonance. When we use the words, this you just heard, this hmm, Aztec mantra that opens portals. It is part of the ancient wisdom of how we used to go about everyday life in the fifth dimension. And, hmm, realizing we are all one, no greater or lesser, every 
single soul has a unique story to tell. And it is the fabric that makes up this tapestry that is called the circle of life. It is at this moment we can say we have shifted the balance. This Sat Yuga is unfolding as it should. And let the dark be as it may focus on the radiant light pouring in. We know there are many stories to tell about who did what to whom. They are as prolific as there are stars in the sky, sand on the beaches of this planet, and so many other worlds upon worlds. Like Patty said, it's been raised up. We have one. How we take that into our own lives to shift our own reality. That's the big test. It's the biggest one. As we see, we got going here. Because we're it. Because we're what, Father? We're it. Yes, that's true. <laughs> Tag, we're it. As and there's only one of us here. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. <laughs> it only takes one. It does. To change the world, Mother. And... Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. Where there is such hatred, let me so love. Ladies, in the light of the most radiant one. Kadosh, 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 Adonai Sabayot. Kadosh, 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 Adonai Sabayot. Kadosh, 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 Adonai, Sabayot. Ilyahu, Ilyahu, Ilyahu. Yod, hey, bold, hey, Yava. Adonai, Basu, Karagas. Namaste, Mother. Namaste. Happy New Year. <laughs> I didn't quite understand that. Namaste. Namaste. Momentito, everybody. Ah. Uh.
Hello. Hello, Mother. Uh, Are you there? Uh, oh, Mother, not Mother, not Mother. Hi, Rama. Hello. <laughs> Where did you go? Um. Some. Um. I was like a cenote with blue turquoise water and quite hot. And oh. uh, sand crabs and dolphins and sand and, crabs. Yeah. Were you in Hawaii? I have no idea. <laughs> I just know the water was hot, and there were sand crabs and dolphins, and there was turquoise blue water, and uh, just a sense of well, you could have been you could have been in uh, off of the coast of Mexico. Uh, that's turquoise water there. Yeah. There was like there's an island there, Madre Madre de Dios or something like that, and there are dolphins. Yeah, there's monkeys too. <laughs> oh, they're needed as part of the cycle. Yeah. So did you? Uh, just the message I got was to stay in that oneness of the joy of just being in turquoise waters of peace. That sounds great, Mother. Yeah. We can do that. Yeah. Let's carry it right through the whole New Year's Eve into New Year's Day and onward. Fifth dimension, everybody. Imagine all the people living in a world of peace and love. All right. We better shift the gears here. We've got uh, democracy now here. I think that from the shoeshine box to now, God gave me this opportunity to be an example for the children. If you're there, you can be a Pele, and we will have many Peles, if it's God's will here in Brazil. Brazil declares three days of national mourning to mark the death of the global soccer icon, Pele, at the age of 82. We'll look at his life and legacy with Professor Brenda Elsie, co-host of the feminist sports podcast, Burn It All Down, and editor of Football and the Boundaries of History. Then to New York, where Democrats look likely to defeat Democratic Governor Kathy Hochul's nomination of the next chief judge to the state's highest court after his conservative judicial record prompted opposition from progressives because of his anti-abortion, anti-labor, and anti-bail reform positions. This nomination was baffling to me that 
that a governor would attempt to cement a conservative majority on our highest court uh, up until 2030 with a judge who has a record of making anti-abortion decisions. And as 2022 comes to a close, we look at one of the most alarming developments this year, how more jails in the United States have become death traps. Then to the new documentary, Angola, do you hear us? Voices from a plantation prison. It's just been shortlisted for an Academy Award. We'll speak with the director and the film subject, actress and playwright, Lisa Jesse Peterson. But this, I knew was historical. To be on a prison plantation, not just to perform, but to activate. Everybody clung on to every word that she said. I'm telling you that place erupted. All that and more coming up. Now, democracynow.org, the War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. Israel sworn in the most far right government in 74 year history, led by Benjamin Netanyahu, who begins an unprecedented sixth term as prime minister. The new government includes the ultra nationalist and ultra orthodox parties that are calling openly for the annexation of the West Bank. A document listing the new government's policies includes a pledge to build settlements and occupy Palestinian lands. It reads, quote, the Jewish people has an exclusive and inalienable right to all parts of the land of Israel, unquote, in the West Bank. The Palestinian Authority said Israel's new government poses an existential threat to the Palestinian people. This is Palestinian Prime Minister Mohammed Shdeya. We passed through many extremist governments, but this government is the most extremist. This government is the most threatening. This government is the most insolent. And I know for a fact that the international community will not deal with many members of this government. Therefore, to us, we are against all the governments that practice killing and oppression on our people. President Biden's congratulated Benjamin Netanyahu on his return to power, saying he looks forward to working with Israel's new government. In a statement released Thursday, Biden referred to Netanyahu as his friend for decades, adding, quote, the United States will continue to support the two-state solution and to oppose policies that endanger its viability or contradict our mutual interests and values, unquote. Biden's statement did not mention Israel's illegal settlements and ignored concerns over the new government's far-right, ultra-religious and ultra-nationalist members. The United Nations has halted some of its humanitarian aid operations in Afghanistan after the Taliban imposed a ban on female workers at non-governmental organizations. The UN's humanitarian aid coordinator in Afghanistan, Ramiz Alakbarov, said Thursday the ban has immediate life-threatening consequences for all Afghans. Humanitarian needs of the people are absolutely enormous, and it's important that we continue uh, to stay and deliver. As we do so, it's equally important uh, that uh, the rights of women and girls, uh, of which we are so much talking these days, are absolutely preserved and protected. Ukraine's military says it shot down a swarm of 16 drones launched by Russia overnight against targets in Kyiv. The latest attack on Ukraine's capital came after Russia launched one of its heaviest waves of missile strikes of the 10-month-old war. This is a 79-year-old Kyiv resident who narrowly escaped injury after his home was destroyed Thursday. 
I have no words for what to call it. As they say, war is war, and things happen. But this is not war. It's a crime against humanity. In Moscow, Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov said military leaders are looking at attacking railway lines, bridges, and tunnels across Ukraine in an effort to cut off the flow of weapons and ammunition sent by Ukraine's allies. This comes as Belarus summoned the Ukrainian ambassador on Thursday and demanded Kyiv carry out a full investigation after a Ukrainian air defense missile crashed in a field in Belarus. Belarus is a staunch ally of Russia and has allowed its territory to be used as a staging ground for Russian attacks on Ukraine. The incident has heightened fears that Belarus could be drawn into a direct conflict with Ukraine. Meanwhile, Russian President Vladimir Putin said he expects Chinese President Xi Jinping to visit Moscow in the spring during a video conference today between the two heads of state. In Italy, the far-right government of Prime Minister Giorgia Maloney is cracking down on charity vessels that rescue asylum seekers at sea. Among other things, a new decree seeks to prevent the ships from carrying out multiple unplanned rescues during a single mission. Charities violating the new rules could be fined and their ships impounded. Over 100,000 asylum seekers have disembarked in Italy over the past year, according to government data. Brazil's president-elect, Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva, finalized his cabinet appointments Thursday ahead of his January 1st inauguration. Amazon rainforest defender, Goldman Prize winner Marina Silva was chosen as Brazil's environmental minister. She held the post in Lula's previous two terms in office, during which Amazon deforestation slowed significantly. Indigenous land and water defender, Sonia Guajajara was named Brazil's first ever minister for indigenous peoples. Lula also nominated black activist, journalist, and educator, Aniele Franco, as Brazil's new minister of racial equality. She's the sister of Marielle Franco, who was a human rights and racial justice act activist, member of Rio de Janeiro City Council before she was assassinated in 2018. Ahead of Lula's swearing-in Sunday, the Brazilian Supreme Court temporarily banned registered gun owners from carrying their firearms in the capital, Brasilia, until after the inauguration ceremony. The move comes amidst rising concerns of violence from the far right and supporters of defeated President Jair Bolsonaro. Brazilian police on Thursday arrested at least four people and carried out nationwide raids as they investigated an alleged co-attempt led by backers of Bolsonaro who've refused to accept Lula's victory. Bolsonaro has yet to concede. Brazil has begun three days of mourning over the death of the Brazilian soccer legend Pelé, known as the King of Football. Pelé died Thursday in Sao Paulo due to complications from colon cancer and COVID-19. He was 82 years old. Born Edson Aranches do Nascimento, Pelé is the only soccer player to have won three World Cup tournaments. The first in 1958 when Pelé rose to international fame at the age of 17, Brazil declared him a national treasure. Pele also won 10 league titles with his club Santos and is credited with popularizing soccer in the United States when he played for the New York Cosmos in the 70s. Pele was born in the Brazilian state of Minas Gerais in 1940. Brazil's incoming president, Luis Inácio Lula da Silva, said on Twitter, quote, few Brazilians took the name of our country as far as he did. We'll have more on Pele's life and legacy after headlines. South Korea has carried out military drills after it failed to intercept North Korean drones that crossed into its airspace Monday. This is South Korean President Yoon Suk-yeol. 
The intrusion of North Korean drones in our airspace is an intolerable act, and many people are worried and concerned. We should let North Korea learn that provocations are always met by harsh consequences. South Korea will require travelers arriving from China to submit a negative COVID-19 test amidst China's worsening surge. This comes after India, Italy, Taiwan, and the United States also impose new testing requirements on travelers from China. But health authorities say such measures do little to stop the spread of COVID, and critics say the travel restrictions are being used as a diplomatic weapon and could further fuel anti-Asian hate. And here in New York, the first legal recreational cannabis dispensary opened its doors to the public Thursday at 4.20 p.m. The Housing Works Cannabis Company Dispensary in Manhattan is run by a nonprofit serving people living with HIV AIDS, as well as unhoused and formerly incarcerated people. Chris Alexander, the executive director of New York State's newly formed Office of Cannabis Management, was the dispensary's first ever customer. One of the key priorities was always, you know, addressing the criminal consequences that exist, uh, stem from marijuana prohibition, it's disproportionate enforcement, but also access, right? And access to a plant uh, that is medicine for so many, particularly in the HIV and AIDS community as well. And those are some of the headlines. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. Brazil's outgoing president, Jair Bolsonaro, has declared three days of national mourning to mark the death of the global soccer icon known as Pelé. He was 82 years old. Born Edson Arantes do Nascimento, Pelé was an Afro-Brazilian star in a country where Afro-Brazilians have long faced discrimination and racism. He grew up poor in the Brazilian state of Minas Gerais, where he famously played barefoot soccer with a ball made of rags stuffed into a sock. He was just 17 years old when he led Brazil to its first World Cup title in 1958, becoming the youngest player to score in a World Cup and ultimately won two more titles with Brazil. Three World Cup titles, more than any other player in history. This is Pele explaining how he got his nickname. I fight in college with the, the kids because now my name is Edson, they call me Pele. I get two days suspended in the school, then everybody in the school, all the kids start calling Pele. I hate that time. <laughs> <laughs> Today I love, of course. Now I love because, uh, I don't know, God gave it to me short name, easy to pronounce it, any language you can remember, Pele. Because uh, my name is Edson Arantes do Nascimento. This is hard to remember, no? <laughs> and then uh, today I love Pelé. Pelé was seen as a symbol of Brazil. He played for 20 years in the country before retiring. He then toured the world to popularize soccer. Pelé was also known for embodying the commercialization of soccer. He faced criticism for being seen as complying with Brazil's repressive dictatorship. The nation's Miguel Salazar wrote, that when Brazil's military seized power in a 1964 coup, quote, Pele kept his mouth shut and the dictatorship allowed him to play as he pleased. Eventually, Pele crossed a line. He agreed to a formal meeting ahead of the 1970 World Cup with Emilio Girastazu Medici, one of the most ruthless members of the authoritarian regime. Pele later became a cabinet member in the Brazilian government in the early 90s. For more on Pele's life and legacy, we're joined by Dr. Brenda Elsie, professor at Hofstra University, where she co-directs the Latin American and Caribbean Studies program, also co-host of the feminist sports podcast, Burn It All Down, co-author of Futbolera, 
women's sports and sexuality in Latin America, editor of the book Football and the Boundaries of History. Welcome to Democracy Now!, Professor. It's great to have you with us. Three days of mourning have been declared in Brazil. Um, Pele is a global sports figure, a soccer icon. Talk about his history, where he was born. Talk about where he grew up and his significance. It's going to be a very difficult, it is very difficult to imagine soccer or football without Pelé. And it's very difficult to think about Brazil's image and the way it projects it to the world. He has really, you know, he became iconic mid-20th century. He has been sort of identified so closely with this sport. He grew up in a very poor uh, family as an Afro-Brazilian. He also faced a lot of racism uh, throughout his life. He is emblematic of a, an Afro-Brazilian soccer tradition that you know today as Jogo Bonito or the beautiful game. He had just this sort of um, amazing, energetic, dynamic, graceful, intelligent game that excited the passions of so many people. And you know, what he meant to Brazil was, as you said, very contradictory, sometimes politically, you know, really, really complicated person to be that famous for so long and to embody, you know, that that much of a national identity comes with these kinds of sometimes painful contradictions. And the significance of an Afro-Brazilian in the 1960s becoming a global superstar, what this meant for Brazil's most marginalized I mean, it, it, it was incredibly important that the person that was identified with absolute excellence, both on the field, but he also became a metaphor for being the best ever, large, you know, largely, more broadly than just uh, soccer. And to say just soccer in Brazil feels weird, but um, he became important and to symbolize being the best at something, to say you are the number 10, to say you are the Pele. And the fact that the best of that was an Afro-Brazilian, was, was a black man, was incredibly important. That was solidified for him by 1958. And it wasn't just important in Brazil, but when he toured you know, Africa in the late 1960s, Mozambique, Nigeria, it was really important in fostering a sense of, of, trans, of transnational black excellence. And I mean, when he was just 17 years old, he was the youngest in so many ways. Talk about the racism he faced. Yeah, I, I mean, you just spoke at the top of the show about the first ever cabinet position of racial equality. And uh, so you can see that the ongoing legacy of racism in Brazil is far from being resolved. And in 1958, though there was not formal uh, segregation, as there was in baseball in the United States, for example, um, there's informal segregation and deep racism that, you know, created huge economic inequalities and discrimination, and Pele would have faced all of that. In fact, um, when you said he was identified as a national treasure, he was legally um, given a special category that made it impossible for him to play abroad. He was sort of codified as a, a heritage or national patrimony by the government, by a government decree. This would not have happened with a white player. 
uh, and it prevented Pele's labor, uh, you know, to move in terms of his labor. So he faced a, a number of, of, dis- of, of points of discrimination in his career that are impossible to ignore, despite, as you said, being the face of the commercialization and commodification of soccer. And then the relationship with the dictatorship, the 1964 coup and beyond. Yeah, I, I mean, he he has a number of really, as I said, contradictory positions throughout his life. And he is, he, you know, he, it, it's hard because he spoke of himself almost in the third person a lot of times. Uh, when I met him in 2014, he came to a conference at Hofstra in which we were very critical of the World Cup in, in 2014 in which we discussed the military dictatorship and the way in which uh, the national football team, the national soccer team had supported or had a relationship. And, you know, his response was that he was against authoritarianism and against the military in very broad terms. He did support the movement of some of the Brazilian um, soccer players to have the vote come back in the mid-1980s. But of course, you know, people were disappointed and will continue to be that he didn't do more, uh, particularly in the early years, to express his, you know, to express opposition to the Brazilian dictatorship. And that that will be part of, I think, the way that he's remembered and, and something that was painful for a lot of people that hope differently. And here you have three days of mourning leading in to the inauguration once again of Lula. Um, and the relationship between Lula and Pele. You know, um, again, toward the in the last 20, 25 years, Pele spoke in very general terms. And again, people being disappointed that he didn't say more about um, Bolsonaro and about the far right and the growth of the far right in Brazil. So very generally and broadly, he would talk about love and peace and uh, call for love and peace. But there wasn't you know, much specifically that people were looking for in terms of being against Bolsonaro. He is a uniting figure in Brazil in a lot of ways, one that, you know, both the right and left will embrace as you know, standing in for something about Brazilian identity. I will, I will say that he is not, um, his image and the image of Brazilian football has not been entirely captured uh, by the right. But that is a struggle. It is a site of struggle for people um, every day. And finally, um, just before we leave you, as a sports expert that you are, can you talk about Roberto Clemente and his significance to the world of sports? Tomorrow will be the 50th anniversary of his tragic death in a crash, a plane crash on the way to Nicaragua to deliver supplies there in 1972. Yeah, Roberto Clemente really is an emblem. Uh, indicated that people were disappointed with in terms of Pelé, uh, you might find in Roberto Clemente, uh, who both was very active in civil rights, very active in Puerto Rican rights and solidarity um, with Central America, particularly after the earthquake, as you mentioned, in Nicaragua. So, um, you know, both of these, though, being both of these men are very important icons and very important to mobilize people into 
into thinking about sports as a platform for racial justice. We want to thank you so much, Dr. Brenda Elsie, professor at Hofstra University, co-director of the Latin American and Caribbean Studies Program, co-host of the feminist sports podcast, Burn It All Down, next up to New York, where Democrats look likely to defeat the Democratic governor's nomination of the next chief judge to the state's highest court. Stay with us. look likely to defeat the Democratic governor, Kathy Hochul's nomination of the next chief judge to the state's highest court. If confirmed, Hector LaSalle would be the first uh, Latino chief judge of the Court of Appeals of New York. But his conservative judicial record has been opposed by progressives because of his anti-abortion, anti-labor, and anti-bail reform positions. On Thursday, two more state senators came forward to oppose LaSalle's nomination, bringing the total on record to 12, meaning he cannot be approved without Republican support, which makes it unlikely Democrats will bring his nomination to a vote. Those opposed now include the Senate Deputy Leader, Democrat Mike Generis. On Wednesday, Democracy Now!'s Juan Gonzalez and I spoke to one of the first state senators to oppose LaSalle's nomination, Jabari Brisport, New York State Senator in Brooklyn, who's a Democratic Socialist. I asked him to describe how the governor chooses who to nominate for a chief justice and why he opposes LaSalle. Well, good morning, Amy. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to be here. Uh, the process in New York works like this. There is a commission on judicial nominations. Uh, they take uh, recommendations, applications over a seven-week period, whenever they have an opening, and then they make a short list of seven that they give to the governor who picks one to send to the Senate for confirmation. So in the short list of seven, I would say there were three really outstanding candidates and three unacceptable ones. One that being Hector LaSalle, who uh, is unacceptable for the reasons you've listed uh, previously as making anti-labor decisions, anti-abortion decisions, and honestly branding as not even a conservative judge, but a conservative activist judge going out of his way to make these decisions. Could you be a little more specific on some of those decisions that he's made that, uh, that uh, draw the ire and the concern of progressive groups? 
Sure. So when it was anti-abortion decision, there was a crisis pregnancy center in New York City that was misleading women seeking abortions and then went under investigation uh, for uh, legally practicing medicine. And during their investigation, uh, Hector LaSalle helped author a decision that shielded them from the full investigation by the attorney general. He basically made the case that they did not need to give um, or share what their marketing materials were, the things they were using to, to dupe women. He, he said that sharing those marketing materials would be a violation of their First Amendment rights somehow. Uh, in terms of anti-labor decisions, there was a case where a, an employer, Cablevision, was suing union leaders. And even though that's illegal in New York, Hector Lasalle went out of his way to say that even if the employer could not sue them as union leaders, he could sue them as individuals, um, basically exploding and rolling out the red carpet to a loophole to sue labor leaders. And that's why five uh, labor unions have also come out against Hector Lasalle, in addition to the 10 senators who have as well. Now, in terms of uh, his um, his confirmation process, uh, uh, Democrats have an overwhelming majority in this in the state Senate. What would it take uh, to block his confirmation? He would need 32 yes votes to be confirmed by the state Senate. So currently, there are 10 of the uh, 42 uh, Democratic senators who have come out opposing it. If if one single more is opposing him, then he will not have enough votes from the Democratic conference to be concerned, confirmed. So what's going to happen now? Um, and talk about, I mean, uh, you know, it was a very close race between Lee Zeldin and, um, and Governor Hochul. Um, one of their main differences was reproductive rights, was the issue of abortion. And, you know, he was fiercely anti-abortion, and she said she was extremely pro-choice. Can you talk about what that means um, when a chief justice um, has the position that he has, what kind of cases he presides over, and did this nomination surprise you? This nomination was baffling to me that the governor would attempt to cement a conservative majority on our highest court uh, up until 2030 with a judge who has a record of making anti-abortion decisions. And again, he has gone out of his way. When you have someone willfully misinterpreting the Constitution to the point where they're saying an anti-abortion you know, crisis pregnancy center does not need to share what you know, lying, deceitful marketing materials they're using, um, that's a problem uh, for me. And we have a, a situation here in New York where we have an opportunity to shift the highest court in a progressive uh, direction, and the governor is completely fumbling that opportunity. Can you talk about bail reform, uh, State Senator Brisport? Yes. Uh, in 2019, uh, New York State enacted changes to the bail laws that allowed for more uh, less restrictive measures to allow more people to wait at home for their trial rather than waiting at um, our detention facility in New York City, uh, Rikers, in pretrial detention. And it was a strong success in terms of um, more equality of people staying at home and waiting at home uh, for their, their fair trial. But due to conservative backlash and blaming everything under the sun on the laws, uh, it suffered rollbacks uh, immediately after in 2020 and again this year in 2022. And conservatives continue to weaponize it and lie about the facts of bill reform in order to get rollbacks and force more people to be incarcerated. And, and what is your sense of, of, of 
why Governor Hochul took, took this decision, what kind of pressure she was under. After all, if she wanted to name a a, uh, a, a, a the first Latino to the uh, to uh, Chief Justice, she could have named Jenny Rivera, who uh, came out of the uh, Puerto Rican Legal Defense and Education Fund and is already on the on the court. Uh, but uh, she chose instead this far more conservative uh, pick. Yeah, I would say two things. One, uh, one, it is just the outspoken uh, identity politics angle of confirming the first Latino. In terms of Jenny Rivera, she is fantastic. However, she was not on the seven-person shortlist provided by the Commission on Judicial Nominations, so she was not an option for the governor to choose. Uh, and you know, the unspoken one, aside from the identity politics, is that the governor consistently shies away from making bold, progressive decisions. That, that's also why she did so poorly against an election-denying, Trump-supported fascist running against her uh, for the governorship just a few uh, weeks ago, is that she refused to, make, to distinguish herself with a strong progressive tech. Hector LaSalle was a prosecutor in Suffolk County. In New York, you tweeted, it's indefensible to ask for black votes and then work to incarcerate us. No on LaSalle, you said. Explain. There are zero judges with a uh, defense background on the court, and that was a problem when we voted to confirm Madeline Singus. Uh, over a year ago, um, I voted no on her. I voted no again on uh, Jim Trotman earlier this year, and we have an extremely lopsided fact that the Court of Appeals is um, dominated by prosecutors and people that issue you know, pro-landlord decisions um, and, and pro-business decisions. And nominating yet another prosecutor to our highest court would maintain that imbalance. Jabari Brisport, New York State Senator in Brooklyn, a Democratic Socialist. We spoke to him Wednesday before more Democrats said they would vote against the confirmation of Hector LaSalle, reaching 12, meaning he can't be approved without Republican support, which makes it unlikely Democrats will bring his nomination to a vote, challenging the choice of the Democratic governor of New York, Kathy Hochul. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. Well, as 2022 comes to a close, we look now at one of the most alarming developments this year, how more jails in the United States are becoming death traps, where people face inhumane conditions in overcrowded facilities. New data show New York City jails are the deadliest in more than a quarter of a century. 19 people died in city custody or shortly after being released, and severe understaffing at the notorious Rikers Island jails has been linked to several suicides, as officials are now predicting the population to balloon in coming years, even as the city faces a mandate to shut Rikers down by 2027. Meanwhile, in DeKalb, Georgia, officials report two people died from hanging this week in less than 24 hours, making this the deadliest year in the jail's history. In Houston, Texas, the Harris County Jail has seen a record 27 deaths this year. It's been under a non-compliance status since September. That's where we begin now to look at this underreported crisis. 
for more, we're joined by Krish Gundu, Texas Jail Project co-founder and executive director, which aims to be an unofficial citizens jail oversight commission throughout Texas, has been raising alarm about the crisis in Houston. Also with us, Carrie Blakinger, investigative reporter based in Texas, covering jails and prisons for the Marshall Project. She's moving on to the Los Angeles Times. We welcome you both to Democracy Now! Krish, let's begin with you. Why are in-custody deaths surging in Texas jails? I mean, let's be very clear here. Jail is where people go more often than not before they have been convicted of anything. And they are dying in jail either by suicide or by maltreatment. Not clear. Tell us what's happening. Good morning, Amy. Yes, um, you're absolutely right uh, to point out that jails are places where people are held pre-trial. That means they're not being convicted. They're legally innocent. Um, and it's become a death sentence for a lot of folks in, in Texas County jails. As of yesterday, we had 161 custody deaths in Texas County jails. Um, that's about 240 jails in the in, in, spread across 254 counties. And in Harris County uh, jail, that has that number is actually officially they say 27, but we know that there were 28 deaths because um, people are being given a PR bond as they are dying in the hospital, so that they don't have to be counted. So actually, we've had 28 deaths that we know about. And the reason for that is severe overcrowding. And the overcrowding is being determined by a really small group of prosecutors and local judges who handle felony cases, which is in stark contrast to reforms enacted by misdemeanor judges that have dramatically reduced incarceration and reduced crime and improved public safety. But the officials responsible for felonies have rejected overwhelming evidence um, to expand pretrial releases and they've pursued policies of greater pretrial detention, which is why we're seeing the system collapsing under its own weight. We hear about systemic um, medical neglect, medical abuse, uh, just the whole system is just collapsing under its own weight. So even as we speak overnight, you've been getting more information. Describe the situation of people who have died in jail. <sighs> Yeah, so just to give you an idea of some of the some of the um, tragic and completely preventable deaths, that's one thing I would like to underscore is that these are absolutely preventable deaths. So, um, 24 year old young man went into the jail with his insulin shots, and he told the staff that he was diabetic and he needed his insulin. Uh, four days later, he's dead because of diabetic ketoacidosis, because he didn't get his insulin. Uh, the first death this year, this year was uh, Simon Peter Douglas, um, who came into the jail in, in, a, in a acute psychiatric crisis, um, tried to hang himself, and they put him in a padded cell, and he managed to beat his head so um, badly against the walls and the metal grate on the floor that he eventually died, which is abject medical neglect. I mean, these are absolutely preventable deaths. Another death that I was reading an autopsy report on yesterday of a 38-year-old uh, woman with diabetes, she died because of complications from a fungal infection. So all these were just completely preventable deaths. Three of them were suicides. Four of them were people with severe mental illness who were found incompetent to stand trial. And these are custodial deaths. Um, so then, so these people are under the direct supervision, surveillance, and care of the sheriff's staff. And so when, so they are responsible for their life and death. And when people die under direct surveillance and supervision, it just erodes 
the public's trust in these systems. I mean, if I can't trust the sheriff to keep people in his own custody safe, how can we expect him to keep people in the community safe? So we're talking about the Harris County Jail, where, of course, Houston is. What about mental illness? Nearly 80% of people admitted to the jail are reported likely to be suffering from a mental illness, according to the jail's own data. Yes, you're absolutely right. So Harris County Jail is actually the largest confiner of people with mental illness in the state of Texas. In fact, the top three out of the top five facilities with psychiatric populations are county jails. Which should tell us something about our priorities as a society, you know, where we're in, investing our, our, our resources. We're investing them in punitive systems. So um, this is a trend across the state. In, in many of the county jails, there's, there's a growing number of the population that is people with mental illness. And in Harris County, that's over 80%. And you add that, uh, you know, you add this overcrowding issue to the fact that we are also having this decade long mental health crisis in the state where we've underfunded the mental health system. So we have over 2,500 people who are sitting in county jails awaiting competency restoration. So they've been found incompetent to stand trial. They're awaiting competency restoration. That's over 2,500 as of last week. Um, and in fact, four of the people who died, our community members who died this year in Harris County Jail, were severely mentally ill and found incompetent to stand trial. So they were one of the most vulnerable folks in the jail. Finally, how is the overcrowding in the jails um, linked to the backlash against bail reform and a vote that was just taken in Harris County? I think it's directly connected to the backlash against bail reform. So the reason why we're here today in Harris County and in the state of Texas is, an, is a completely self-inflicted crisis. So when Harris County went through misdemeanor bail reform, which I might say was hugely successful, the latest uh, report that came out of the Cartoon Center is very clear about how successful misdemeanor bail reform was. Uh, but, the, but there was this backlash against the misdemeanor bail reform. They did not want it to spread to the rest of the state. And so um, combine that with at the beginning of COVID, there was this huge um, ask in, um, from public health experts to decarcerate jails because, as we know from all the evidence out there, that communities with big jails was where the most um, COVID spread was happening. And so there was this ask for depopulating jails and the response by Governor Abbott to that ask was his executive order GA13, which limited releases of people from jail. So um, they couldn't be given PR bonds anymore. And um, after that, there was a George Floyd protest and a lot of people were getting bailed out by charitable bail funds. And so between that and the ask for depopulation, um, we had SB6 pass into law in this last legislative session, which was basically the codifying of GA13. And what SB6 did is that it um, there was a blanket denial of people um, of, to give PR bonds to people on a wide range of charges. So it was uh, sold as, as as bail reform, but it was it wasn't really bail reform because what it did was it further entrenched cash bail into the equation. So for charges you might have gotten cash bail for, um, a PR bond for earlier, now you had to pay cash to get out. So people who are unable to pay cash um, are stuck in jail, and those are mostly poor folks and black and brown folks mostly. So that has led to, uh, directly led to uh, skyrocketing pretrial populations across the state.
And that's a result of the you know backlash and the bail reform. Well, Krish Bindu, I want to thank you for being with us. Head of Texas Jail Project has returned to Kerry Blakinger, investigative reporter based in Texas, covering the jails and prisons for the Marshall Project as the media organization's first formerly incarcerated reporter. She's also author of the memoir Corrections in Inc., which details her experience serving time in prison uh, in upstate New York. Her most recent piece for the Marshall Project is headlined Why Would Prisons Ban My Book? Absurdities Rule the System. After the state of Florida banned her memoir um, from um, the prisons. Uh, Carrie, it's great to have you back. If you can talk about um, this larger, putting Texas into the larger picture from Rikers to Texas to where you're headed to work at the Los Angeles Times, uh, what's happening in Los Angeles as well. Yeah, I think that we're seeing a lot of the same things across the country. And I'm so glad that you had Krishan talking about Texas because it feels like Rikers Island is the thing that everyone is so well aware of. So much of the media focus is often on Rikers Island because of the concentration of reporters and news outlets in New York. So I think anyone who sort of follows this is broadly aware that there's been this huge spike in deaths in Rikers. And we've obviously just heard about how that's true in Harris County as well this year. But we've seen the same sorts of things happening in jails across the country. Um, and on top of that, sometimes we have other layered concerns, like some of these facilities are deteriorating in a very extreme way. And you have the physical plant, the, like the physical facilities are in quite bad shape. And then you also have the overcrowding that Chris has mentioned. And some of that is sort of a rebound that we're seeing after COVID as, um, you know, as various states rescinded the measures in place that they had to reduce populations during COVID. Obviously, Chris has talked about how that worked out in Texas, but in California, there was at one point a zero bail order and that has been rescinded. When that was rescinded, you immediately saw an increase in jail populations, particularly in Los Angeles which, you know, has something like 13,000 people in their jails at this point. And their jails have been in extraordinarily bad shape. They've been under a consent decree since the 70s and have not managed to comply adequately in that entire time frame. And then, you know, you have COVID and the after effects of COVID. And that's a very dire situation going on there right now. Now, Finally, um, I wanted to ask you about your book being banned, and you talk a lot about all these kinds of issues, Corrections and Inc., which we did an interview with you about um, on Democracy Now!, being banned in the prisons in the state of Florida, and fit that into the Marshall Project's release of this database of books that have been banned from prisons, spanning at least 18 states. Yeah, I'm so glad to talk about this. So about a year ago, actually, I started looking into this. I started collecting the banned book lists from every state that maintains a banned book list for its prison system. Turns out about half of states maintain banned book lists, but of those, only 18 sent us usable banned book lists because several of the states were messy data or sort of not relevant. But out of the 18 that we got, that includes about 54,000 titles total. Uh, we we saw sorted out some of the magazines. So that's just looking at books. And there's definitely some absurd and concerning patterns that you see within that 54,000. Um, one of the big patterns is that a lot of the reasons that books are banned are just patently absurd. Like many books are banned for things like nudity when prisons have forced nudity. Like you have regular strip searches often in groups and yet 
books are commonly banned for nudity, sometimes nudity of cartoon characters. Um, but there, there's many other reasons that are really absurd when you look at them. But one of the big takeaways is that these absurd reasons are often applied in a manner that seems pretty racially biased in several states. Not every state. But definitely some states. One of the sort of examples that stands out to me is Texas, where Mein Kampf is not banned, but Ida B. Wells' book on lynchings is banned for racial content. And there are several states that ban, you know, black abolition and black liberation authors for racially related reasons, which is, um, you know, extremely concerning to say the least. But I mean, I think fundamentally the reasons that we see these books banned sort of speak to their absurdity, especially in this day and age when so many people behind bars have contraband cell phones. When you ban books, all you're doing is keeping the well-behaved people from reading what they want because the people who are already breaking the rules can get those materials through their contraband phones. Well, I want to thank you, Carrie Blankenjur, for joining us, investigative reporter based in Texas, covering jails and prisons for the Marshall Project as the organization's first formerly incarcerated reporter. Um, we will link to your article, Why Would Prisons Ban My Book? Absurdities Rule the System. Uh, your book, of course, your memoir, Corrections in Ink. Next up, we look into new documentary, Angola. Do you hear us? Voices from a plantation prison. It's just been shortlisted for an Oscar. Back in 30 seconds. I was standing by my window. It was on a cold and cloudy day. I said, when I saw the first cold rolling, thought to carry my This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org. I'm Amy Goodman. As we end today's show, looking at the remarkable new short documentary that's been shortlisted for an Academy Award. It's called Angola, Do You Hear Us? Voices from a Plantation Prison. Angola was a plantation. Just because you see prison with your physical eyes, what do you see beyond that? Start questioning why do we send people to prison? And who's actually here? My best friend, she's like, you got a story to tell. Write that down. And I just put the rage on the page because I had to do something. I've been to 35 prisons across the country, but this I knew was historical. To be on a prison plantation, not just to perform, but to activate. Everybody clung on to every word that she said. I'm telling you that place erupted. You jumped somebody out and our minds. There was some truth that somebody couldn't have. For more, we're joined by Lisa Jesse Peterson. 
the actor and playwright featured in Angola, Do You Hear Us? Voices from a Plantation Prison, which was produced by MTV Documentary Films and by Cinque Northern, artist, filmmaker, and director of the Academy Award shortlisted documentary we're talking about today. Congratulations to both of you uh, on this honor. Um, Simply, why did you choose to make this film and focus on Angola, a prison we have talked about for so long, for example, where Albert Woodfox was um, incarcerated for so many decades? Um, thank you, Amy, and, and thank you for having us today. Um, you know, I've been following Lisa's work uh, since she was working at Rikers and had been wanting to do something to sort of elevate the work that she was doing with incarcerated populations as an artist. And <clears throat> obviously, when the opportunity came for Lisa to go to Angola, it just became so much bigger. Um, and Initially, I had gone down there just really just to shoot the performance, Lisa's performance. It was more a shoot than it was a film at that point. Um, but once once what happened in that room happened, then it became a much bigger story. And we saw Angola as a way of telling this singular story about the singular artist would would have a way to really um, just be an example you know, of what's going on really throughout the country. And specifically Angola, as the title of your film, part of it is this plantation prison, its history from its name to who is held there. Yeah, so a lot of people, uh, I learned in the process of going there that um, the reason it's called Angola, it was formerly a plantation. And a lot of the enslaved people there were from Angola. And so when it became a prison, and this is 18,000 acres of, of farmland, when it became a prison, it kept the nickname Angola. And so the link of that history, um, I think, is just very telling. So let's go back to your film, Angola, Do You Hear Us?, where we hear the words of men incarcerated Angola prison being read by others to protect their identity. You know in that field, man, because when that summer comes, people be falling out in that field. They take care of our homes before they take care of us, man. Seeing those white correctional officers on horseback with rifles, I mean, it just looks like something out of the antebellum South. The majority is all black people. At one time, man, field line was 300 strong, and you had 10 white folks. So you know we got over 6,000 people here. Their warehousing is broken. An excerpt of Angola, Do You Hear Us? And we also hear there Lisa Jesse Peterson. Lisa, tell us your story that is told so beautifully in this film, how you ended up in Angola and what happened. Yeah, um, thank you for having me, Amy. I had the opportunity to meet Norris Henderson, who's also um, featured in the documentary. Um, and he and I are both um, grantees um, 
with um, Art for Justice, and they had a convening in 2019 um, where the um, all the grantees, artists and activists who are working to end mass incarceration, who are supported by Art for Justice, we all met. And um, Norris, who was formerly incarcerated at Angola, um, took us on a field trip. Basically, uh, we got on a bus and he took um, about 20 of us, <clears throat> excuse me, to visit Angola. And when he mentioned that there was a drama club at Angola, um, I got excited because uh, I wanted to perform my play, The Peculiar Patriot, at Angola. And so that's how I met Norris. But there was no way that I could have ever imagined that meeting Norris um, in New Orleans in 2019 would lead to um, what happened in 2020 in the chapel at Angola. What happened? Oh, <laughs> um, it was pretty stunning. Um, um, Norris has a, an amazing relationship with the administration at um, Angola because he served over 27 years um, before he was released. And, and he still does work with the prison doing um, re-entry work. And so he was able to facilitate with the administration permission for me to not only come to perform for the population, but to also film the production of The Peculiar Patriot. And we had permission and literally um, 15 minutes before I was to go on stage, they told, <clears throat> excuse me, um, our film crew that we could not film, that we had to shut our cameras down um, for no reason. We had no idea what um, what the cause was. And, um, and then uh, <laughs> I went on and performed without filming it. And halfway through the show, when I go backstage to get ready for the next scene, uh, Norris is backstage with a correctional officer standing behind him. And he tells me that there's been an emergency in the chapel and we have to end the show. And I just knew instinctively. I said, uh, yeah, there's something else going on. And let's be clear. It's not just that people were personally watching you and they canceled it for them. But this was on closed circuit TV throughout Angola. How many people do you estimate yes. were watching at the point where it was shut down and why you think it was? <clears throat> well, so it was interesting. The... Um, you know, and Angola has their own radio station. They have their own TV, closed circuit TV station. And so they had um, the incarcerated men um, who run the television um, station film the play so that it could be live streamed through the entire prison. And uh, I think approximately six or 7,000 men are incarcerated. So in the chapel, there were physically about 700 men or more um, packed into the chapel to watch it and then live stream throughout the entire prison. So they were able to see everything. They were even able to see the shutdown. So even though our cameras were not allowed, the live stream, so the men who were in the um, housing areas, they got to see the moment when it shut down and the, um, the, the raucous reaction um, that happened that followed afterwards. And I would say, um, and, and I get, I was told by the men who contacted me after the performance through their wives and through contraband phones or whatever means they had available that the housing areas, 
that the day rooms were packed, that men were crowded around the televisions watching the performance. This has been amazing for you, Cinque Northern, as you um, film this performance. Um, and watching this short documentary, um, I hope there are no flies in the room when anyone watches because your jaw drops. You might choke when the flies fly in. But Cinque, maybe in the same way that when you saw yourself, the film shortlisted for an Oscar, what are you hoping to do with this over these coming weeks? Um, <clears throat> well, I mean, we really want as many people to see it as, as possible. Um, we always had an idea that this film would create empathy. And, and just to add to what Lisa said about what happened in that room, an important thing to remember is before it got shut down, most men were laughing, they were crying. They were so uh, captivated by these characters that Lisa had created. Lisa wasn't just in there giving statistics. She really embodied these characters. And I think the interruption of that created this momentum that, that kept going. Um, but as far as the film, I mean, we, we're hoping to get nominated. That, that, you know, that would bring so much awareness, so much more awareness to this. And really, I hope would um, have people be unsettled with this reality and look further into it. And how people are able to watch this now all over? Uh, you can watch it now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. And Lisa Jesse Peterson, as we wrap up, what you want people to take away with, you're the last guest of our year here at Democracy Now! Well, that's quite an honor. And I really hope that people will take away um, the humanity of people who are incarcerated and to not just um, know them as numbers or see uh, the statistics, but know that for every number, there's a human being connected to that number and there's a family and the family members. So I hope that this film will inspire and ignite um, compassion, empathy, and healing and most importantly, reimagining um, how we deal with um, mass incarceration and to envision something different than what we have now. Well, Lisa Jesse Peterson, actor, playwright, and Cinque Northern, director of the short documentary, Angola, Do You Hear Us? Voices from a Plantation Prison, which has just been shortlisted for an Academy Award. You can watch it at Paramount Plus streaming. That does it for our show. I'm Amy Goodman. Happy... of the great president John F. Kennedy, who once said that if more politicians knew poetry and more poets knew politics, I am convinced the world would be a little better place. This National Cultural Center was created for all Americans, poets, politicians, and everyone in between. Art doesn't care where you're from or what you look like. Art can be small, or it can be very big, and it can be any color of a rainbow, like yellow, <laughs> big and yellow, <laughs> sounds like me. <laughs> Is that a big bird? Art has the power 
to bring us together by breaking down barriers and highlighting our shared humanity. That's why we're here. And tonight, we'll tell you the stories of five artists who continue the legacy of the 244 honorees who came before them. They are stories of tenacity, stories of faith, stories of unfettered creativity, and stories of endurance. And I know a little about that. We're all honored to be part of this legacy, and we're thrilled to welcome the 45th class of Kennedy Center honorees. and filmmaker, George Clooney. one of the most gorgeous creatures we've ever seen inside and out. I'm going to quote Gladys here. She says, bring on the pain, bring on the glory. I will be in this fight to share my gifts, to enjoy my blessings, and to be loved. Because you're the best thing that ever happened to me. Star. When 
wouldn't be here without you. Please welcome Garth Brooks. in country music. As a matter of fact, her biggest hit started as a country ballad. After changing a couple lyrics and adding that signature touch of Gladys Knight's soul, what was once Midnight Plain to Houston. <laughs> True story. Became Midnight Train to Georgia. And the rest, as they say, is history. But to do this song right, and to do Gladys right, we're gonna need us the pips. Knows the strength of that voice. This needy, mighty 
an textured instrument of deceptive elegance and tremendous emotional urgency. What? What's this strength about? Why does Gladys Knight need to sound strong? Because her art is the opposite of strength. Why should any of us fear vulnerability when this woman sounds so powerful confessing hers?
Okay, hold on, everybody. I just got to jump the commercial here. Gladys, your voice is spoken to what breaks our hearts, what tears us apart, what lifts our spirits, what brings us together. You're truly one of the best things ever to happen to you. Please welcome back, Ella Gladys' music empowers the listener and also serves as a blueprint for other artists who would follow. Like this next artist, who's carving her own unique path. Please welcome Mickey Guyton. They say you'll ever meet your heroes, and they will disappoint you. But that is not true with Gladys. I got to perform with her last year, and she made me feel like I was part of her family. Gladys, this song is how we all feel about you.
about George, I mean this sincerely, is his deep empathy. He is unrelenting and undaunted. 
That's character in real life. And that's George Clooney. I've been lucky enough to meet, you know, millions of people. And they all, without exception, agree, you sucked as Batman. <laughs> all together. I mean, it's like we could solve world problems if we just all could agree on more than just that I sucked at Batman. She's one of George Clooney's favorite co-stars and one of his closest friends. Please welcome Julia Roberts. This whole thing? What? I'm here for Gladys Knight, can't you tell? The Renaissance man. One who has wide interests and excels in many fields. Now to be a Renaissance man, it is said one must possess these six characteristics. To be knowledgeable, artistic, physical, intelligent, social, and, well, cool. Now, I've had the great experience in this life to meet a lot of deeply interesting people, people who are gifted, who transform space and time right before your eyes, who walk the earth as a kind of poetry. And I can tell you, in a group of these mentors, these blessed and impactful folks, that my friend George Clooney is head and shoulders above the crowd. Maybe it is the small town southern girl in me that responds to the uniquely small town southern boy in him. But I've just always felt that I really see George and he really sees me. He is the best combination of gentleman and playmate. Over the years, I've come to realize that George and I agree on most things. Music, what old movies we treasure, which one of us is funnier. <laughs> and the great satisfaction of sitting down at a bar for a drink, for a conversation, to learn, to connect with the world and each other, to share time and hold space with friends in an almost sacred way. In a bar like this. This is exactly the type of bar that George loves. Warm, cozy, and with the people that he loves that love him. Here we are in this bar. George, all of our friends are here. I'm Diane Reeves, and this is the kind of place I like to perform with. And this is a song I did for George Clooney's Good Night and Good Luck. Oh, 
The man and the actor were prepared for success. Now, he and I used to watch old movies. The actor that he always loved was Spencer Tracy. And the performance that always hit home for George was, was Spencer Tracy in the movie, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner? Because in the final scene, he looked straight into the actor's eyes, who he's talking to, and he simply tells the truth. He says to the interracial couple, quote, if you two feel for each other, half of what I felt for my wife, it's everything. Everything that you are, George, the actor, the producer, the writer, the director, is embodied in that final speech. The truth of the moment, the inherent liberal goodness of humanity, an unshakable morality delivered in quality entertainment, because that is George Clooney, the artist. And that is George Clooney, the man. great friend George Clooney, narrated by another one of his great friends, Brad Pitt. If you're George Clooney, it's all about choices. The decisions to move through life, always reaching for the things that stretch you, the roles that challenge you, and the moments that show you who you want to become. A man we
I'm not telling you, but I can no longer read the teleprompter with my glasses. Uh, it has been said that my friend George Clooney is the last of the true movie stars. So I got to thinking about what exactly that meant. Of course, a number of past Kennedy Center honorees have certainly been movie stars in that classic sense, actors with class and sophistication, like Cary Grant and Henry Fonda, Paul Newman, Gregory Peck. And then I think of George, uh, a man who once defecated in Richard Kind's kitty litter box as a joke. <laughs> A man who once stole Bill Clinton's stationery and wrote fake notes to actors saying how much the president loved their movies. <laughs> and George, I know a lot of people think you have movie star looks, but let's be honest, it takes a village to style a star into being People Magazine's sexiest man alive. I've been there. Those experts can transform anyone, even this guy. There he is. Yeah, I'm all. So that's George Clooney. That is this man alive, and you married him. Congratulations. But let's go beyond the haircut, if we possibly can, and talk about George's work. The Kennedy Center honor went to Gregory Peck for playing Atticus Finch. Uh, went to Henry Fonda for playing Tom Joad. And George... <laughs> was everyone's sixth favorite Batman. <laughs> George, I would never call you the last true movie star because that would diminish you. You are one of the most talented people I have ever met across multiple disciplines. And here's the thing. If you said to people that George worked with 20 years ago, that in two decades he'd had two Academy Awards, he'd be nominated for Oscars in six different categories, and we'd all be in black tie in this beautiful venue, watching him receive the Kennedy Center honor. Absolutely none of us would have been surprised. George, it's been a privilege to work with you on the hits and the misses, and it's a privilege to call you my friend. But still, there is this, there is this. <laughs> Congratulations, I love you, Don Cheadle. George a TV star, out of sight, made him a movie star, but it's his passion for bettering society that led him to what I think is his most important legacy, his charity work, his advocacy, and his humanitarianism. For over a decade, George has worked to bring attention to the genocide and refugee crisis in Darfur, and it's been a source of both hope and despair as we watch even today the struggles for the planet's newest country to achieve peace and liberty. George has been tireless in raising money for the organization, not on our watch, as well as the Satellite Sentinel Project. And it goes beyond just writing a check for George, who doesn't just talk the talk, but he walks the walk. George also embarked on one of the wisest collaborations of his life when he and Amal decided to tie the knot and start a family, something that many of us thought we would never see and he would never have the wherewithal or the good sense to do. And now not only does the world have a couple more little Clooney's to chase around, but we also thankfully have their Clooney Foundation for Justice. And this past September, I was proud to throw in with George once again, co-founding a school in Los Angeles, the Roy Ball Film and Television Magnet. 
aimed at infusing talented inner-city youth directly into the entertainment industry. George, you truly are a man of peace and inspiration. One of my rider dies, and uh, you prove that saints aren't just in heaven, they can also be found in a bar. truly leading all who know you to a happier, more fulfilling path. You are our Renaissance man, and what a joy to see you honored in this way tonight. We love you. station break here. and serving as a leader in our nation's arts education and honoring President Kennedy's vision of the role that the arts can serve in our society, uniting us, inspiring us, and reflecting the magnificent diversity of the American people. President Kennedy believed that art is a form of truth and a test of the very quality of a nation's civilization. The arts, their essential truth, and the legacy of these artists raise our spirits, bring us together, and help define that by which our society is remembered. It is the reason we honor this year's Kennedy Center Honors recipients and their unique talents that have enriched us all, individually and enriched our nation. We are thankful to CBS, to all of you here tonight, and to the millions watching at home for your support of the arts. Amy Grant. Amy calls music a soul-enlarging experience. Her voice is a true gift from God. She shares with everyone. I look at my life and how I see myself. I just kind of feel like a little flat garden hose. And in the morning I wake up and I go, well, you're just going to shower on the world whatever you stick the other end of your hose in. <laughs> and started in church. It's where the faith that is the bedrock of her life and career took root. And it's where she returns time and again for guidance and inspiration. When a tape she made it for music was discovered by a producer at Word Records, a Christian label, she was offered a recording contract just five weeks shy of her 16th birthday. Ever since, with simple tools, a pen and a guitar, and that clear, sweet, comforting voice, she has moved and uplifted us, 
offering the perfect elixir for troubled times and troubled souls. I've been the fortunate recipient of her wisdom and grace because part of Amy's generous spirit means sharing the lesson she has learned about how she and her wonderful husband, Vince Gale, blended their families, about loving and supporting your kids as they grow up and loving and supporting your parents as they grow old. I'm sure her practical advice has helped countless people looking for guidance. Sure, Amy has sold 30 million albums worldwide and won six Grammys, but she has never lost sight of the things that really matter, faith and family. Take it from the people who at times, I'm sure, have been among her toughest critics, her kids. She loves her family, our family so deeply. She takes from family and uses that for her sons. Family ties run so deep with her, and I think that's a human quality that is so relatable. She's able to relate to a single mom, a blended family. Amy's a trailblazer. She has an idea and she does it. I love that energy about her. She doesn't say my way's right and your way's wrong. It's faith-based. She sings about everybody being welcome and spreading love and kindness, and it's not preachy. She just kept doing what was honest for her. At age 25, she's one of the biggest selling gospel artists of all time, but she's different to say the least. She's probably the first artist to dance on stage in leather pants, no shoes, and a leopard skin jacket while singing about Jesus. My mom venturing into new genres and moving more in the pop direction just allowed her to reach more people, which I think is a beautiful thing. I was in middle school when her pop crossover happened, and all my girlfriends in the neighborhood were obsessed with Amy Grant. I've listened to her music with them, and now I'm singing live with her. I think it just felt natural for her to include us in special moments. We were just a part of her life, so touring with her wherever she went, we were able to go with her. We've got to get Sarah to smile, and the baby has not smiled. <laughs> I suppose in retrospect, being that she was a new mother, I could see how dedicating lead me on to her firstborn kid might be a little fun bookmark. It always meant a lot that she had written it for me, but I think, you know, it wasn't until after having a child that really helped me to understand how all-encompassing that type of love is. Heirlooms was one of the first songs that I sang, and it was a duet, just me and my mom and her playing guitar, beaming with the joy that comes from the love of family that is expressed in those lyrics.
continues with Amy and Cece Williams, plus stars of opera and classical music honor composer Tanya Leon. The Candy Center Honors will continue. This is CBS. Hang in there, everybody. Just gotta jump this commercial. Hold on. personal assistant for almost 40 years. So I grew up watching her up close and I can attest that she is the kindest and most real example of what artistry anchored in humility and honesty look like. In a noisy world, she is a whisper of welcome. On behalf of my fellow high women, my friends, Brandi Carlisle, Maren Morris, and Amanda Shires, we would like to thank Amy for being a porch light to our crowded table.
Amy is known for being one of the nicest people in Nashville and an exemplar of this well-worn advice. To thine own self be true. And speaking of great quotations, Amy, you once shared the four words your sweet mom said to you, words you've never forgotten. Sing something that matters. Well, you've done it and you're still doing it. Whether lullabies, Christmas music, my personal favorite grown-up Christmas list always makes me cry. <laughs> Ballads, pop songs, or hymns, what you sing, Amy, matters. Your music is a constant reminder of what's important, and very simply, that's love. And now, Grammy Award-winning gospel singers, B.B. and C.C. Winans, with Michael W. Smith. about family and faith. And Amy, you're the real deal. And tonight, she is the reason why Cece and I are here to celebrate your heart. Amy, it's been the pleasure of my life to collaborate with you all these years. Thank you. 
composer Tommy Young is next, featuring stars of dance, classical music, and opera. This is CBS, the Candy Center Opera sponsor. Okay, we're going to do the rest tomorrow, everybody. But, um, yeah, let's sing. Let's sing the new year in. Uh, and the sorrow with it. And peace to everyone and love in your hearts for everyone. And uh, may we continue to pass every test. And uh, that emerald serpent feathered one will make sure to follow us around <laughs> until we do. Uh, yes, Quetzalcoatl. And uh, our Sanaka Kumara is another name for this wonderful being. And let's walk that talk of Maya land. And the Mayans have so much to teach us. And we have a wisdom teacher of all that is that uh, in in the heart and the mind and the being of Rainbird. So I pass this talking stick with that heart on it to you. Oh, thank you. I got that. And... <laughs> Yeah, let us celebrate this last day of the year of 2022 as we, yeah, appreciate everything that the, the year brought us. And um, and so we all appreciate this evening. Thank you for tonight. And lots of gratitude for, for you being here and, and bringing us through this new year or the end of this year, and I know there's a lot more to unfold. I think we're we're really <laughs> actually incorporating these energies and being really ready for what 23 has to bring us. So I pass this talking stick over to you, Rama. Here it comes. Okay. Yes, happy New Year's Eve, because you're in it. We're almost in it. Oh, we are in it, too. Right, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Rama, what did you have? 2022. 2022. Last day. Yes. This is Alan Watts. Om, the sound of love. Who puts it on? 
puts it on? Your body? Huh, what an act that is. And who puts that on? Your father and mother? Did they put you on? Come off it. You know very well who you are, but you won't admit it. Deep in there, in the middle, middle of your heart, you know it. You've always been around, and always will be. And the you in you is the same as the you in me. You're not some sort of tourist just visiting in this world for a short time. You belong here, like the apple on the tree. And as the apple is the energy of the tree, you, yes, you are the energy of the world. You don't know who you are, do you? You can't really get at yourself, just as the fingertip can't touch itself and the teeth can't bite themselves. And that's because you, the far in you, is what we call Brahman, the self of the universe, the which than which there is no witcher, the heart and foundation of all that's going on. You think you're going to die someday? Yes. That's because every now and then you have to go off so that you can know you're on. You can't have an up without a down or a back without a front or a light day without a dark night. The whole thing is pulse. So what are you doing, Brahman? You're playing on and off with yourself, hide and seek with yourself. You're just passing eternal time with adventure. You forget who you are, really. Every now and then, you make like you're just a John Doe or a Mary Smith, or a butterfly, or a worm, or a star, and that you're lost in the middle of a big, big outside world that isn't you, that you don't understand, and that you don't control. Of course. There has to be something else, something other, bring out the feeling that you are you and so that you can feel really you that outside world has to feel really strange different weird you old trickster deep down in you know the whole bit and therefore what you want is a surprise so you have to let things get out of control you have to feel lost and lonely to know you as you. And you play the thing out by inventing lusts and loves, fears and terrors, gnawing anxieties and screaming memes. Also, you can imagine, it's not really me, it's it that runs the show. But our secret is, as we say, tatvamasi. You are it. You are running the show by not letting your right hand know what your left is doing, by making like there's a whopping great split between what you do and what happens to you. And this is what we call Maya, the great illusion, and Leela, the play, the big act. And you don't just play your game with such simple elements as on and off, black and white, or life and death. To seem as real as real can be, this world that you are playing must be so complicated that you can't figure it out. Especially if you're using figures to figure it. 
So, between black and white, there is the whole range of colors. Between thunder and silence, the whole scale of tones. And between something and nothing, between a smashing fist on the face and trying to touch air, there are all the textures of feeling. Burning, throbbing, pushing, hugging, fondling, tickling, kissing, brushing, and light wind on the skin. Your world is all these elements of light and sound, of taste, smell, and touch, woven together in many dimensions on the fabulous loom of your brain. Your brain, the most complicated thing in the world, which you yourself grew without even thinking about it. <laughs> okay, we've got a song to write, Alma. Yeah. I'll just say one thing really quick. Since we are all it, we can change it. And this is the most wonderful time. So let it be. What you got for us, Ralph?
brothers in the sea have you ever spent hours online shopping for <laughs> okay i was saying our brothers of the sea they have human souls and let's contemplate that for this new year's eve thank you rama thank you everyone thank you rainbird thank you Don and Doug for making this platform for us to be together. See you in your dreams. Make a wish. I'm a star. Namaste. Sat Nam. Sat Nam Ki. Aho Mitakuyasin. 13 thank yous. Honey in the heart. No evil. Live long and prosper. We can do it all. Namaste. Namaste.